Small businesses are crucial to our economy, but often overlooked as investment opportunities. Mainvest wants to change that. Discover how you can invest with impact and receive quarterly returns. Get $20 toward your first investment when you sign up at mainvest.com slash podcast. Mainvest is a licensed funding portal that offers investments under regulation crowdfunding and not a broker-dealer or investment advisor. Mainvest does not provide any investment legal, tax, or accounting advice. All of the investment opportunities on Mainvest contain risk. Investors should not invest more than they can afford to lose. Well, hello, friends. All right, let's do it. Wow. We're at episode 36. Episode 36, guys. Wow. Amazing. It's been a journey. I thank every one of you for tuning into the podcast Ah, it's been a journey. Thank you, guys. I couldn't be where I am without you. Oh, yeah. So let's get it started. Today's guest is a guest who's all the way from, wow, Frankfurt, Germany. Julius Weikenhorst. Ooh, I just butchered that. Julius Weikenhorst is uh, all the way from Germany. Um, It's amazing. We're going to have this this conversation about entrepreneurial DNA, um, startups, startups. tech job hiring processes, um, and more in life. And Julius is just going to talk about how to make the world a better fucking place. Yes, that's what we're going to talk about today on the actual podcast. It's going to be fun. Guys, tune in, tune in, tune in. This is going to be a deep conversation. We love those deep conversations over here on the Kids in the Room podcast. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kids in the Room podcast. All right, all right, all right. Hey guys, welcome to the Kids in the Room podcast. Today we've got Julius Weikenhorst on the podcast, all the way from Germany, Frankfurt, Germany, that is. Julius, what's going on? Tell us, tell us, tell us, man. Tell us uh, what you're working on, what you do, what's your special magic skill? Who are you? Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited to be on the show today. Yeah, my name is Julius. I live in Frankfurt. I'm a full-time student, but I yeah, pretty much rather focus myself on my two projects, which are uh, being the chief of staff at Polar AI and um, yeah, be, being the founder of my own NGO uh, called Third Aid, and we make uh, yeah, social donation processes transparent again, um, yeah, to, to just make this world a better place, actually. Awesome. Got to make the world a better place. Sounds like a Michael Jackson, you know, song. You know, we are the world. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or j- 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 well, uh, man well, I, I re- <laughs> yeah, I really like the song actually. I heard it like a couple of times when I was younger uh, with my mom. Um, but yeah, I, I think like to make this world a better place is like intrinsically a, a, a big, a big value for for every human. I should be actually. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, man. Um, got to make the world a better place. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that doesn't happen anymore. You know, people don't really focus on making the world a better place. It's more about selfish endeavors. You know, not really about making the world a better place. Well, maybe there's Elon Musk. Maybe yeah. he's maybe he's trying to make the world a better place, <laughs> or Mars a better place. In some sort, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, cyber trucks. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, man. So Julius. Yeah, so you're in Germany, but you guys are based out of San Francisco. I think we talked a little bit offline on that. Yeah, true. Yeah, we are fully remote. Um, I actually I've never met one of my one of my colleagues at Polar AI. Um, so we've like been remote from from day one actually. 
Um, and I pretty much got used to like working remotely all of the time. Um, I also like set up third aid, my, my own NGO, like fully remotely as well. And now we have like team hubs in, in Singapore, here in Germany, in Austria, uh, Croatia and Italy. Um, so yeah, that's it. And working remotely, it's, it's, it's quite a good, quite a good thing because you get like, you get to work together with people from all over the world, um, from different cultures and it, it never becomes boring. Yeah. doesn't come boring, man. I totally know what you mean. You know, you get to learn and grow. Um, you know, at bigger companies, they typically, they typically, you know, they, 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 you know, I've always, I've worked at startups before earlier on and then moved into bigger companies and things like that. And it's like, I remember going in there and, and there was this big thing about collaboration, collaboration. It's like, you know, and being in the actual physical location. And I was like, man, I built plenty of awesome fucking shit, man. And you know what? I wasn't in physical location. We did it all remotely. I work with mm. plenty of Russians. I've worked with plenty of Ukrainians. I've worked with, you know, Middle East. I've worked with, you know, Argentina, Brazil. I've worked with all types of countries, Americans, you know, and did it remotely all over. No problem. But, you know, it was like, you know, before the pandemic, Everybody in a lot of the bigger companies were like, you know, no, you have to be here in physical presence. We have to, you know, we have to, you know, uh, collaborate in physical presence because if not, we don't know. We're not really building anything. We're not really a team. And that's false. I built a lot of amazing shit remotely. Yeah. And what would you say when you look at it now? Do you, pre or well, did you prefer working in, like larger corporations or really like smaller teams or smaller companies actually? You know, there's pros and cons in both, right? When we think about mm. things in critical ways, when we think about critical thinking in general, it is, you know, when you're working at a smaller uh, startup, there's pros that you have the room to grow. There's pros yeah. um, uh, that, um, you know, in that room with growth, you can, you know, there's just an infinite amount of, uh, of, uh, experience you can gather. Cause you, you know, you're wearing many hats. The cons are you are wearing too many hats. Sometimes you could be working, um, a little bit more than the average person at a bigger work. Cause there might be five different types of people doing the same position or skill set as you to take the load off. Right. You have a lot more mm. players in the actual park or in the ball game to actually let off the weight versus when you're just a smaller startup you know, everybody's like doing four or three different things or maybe even more, who knows, but it's just like, you have to wear many hats, you know, you could you work a lot more hours, um, typically. Um, and you don't have that much funding typically sometimes. So those things, uh, happen. You don't have all the fancy resources, right? So those are some of the cons I would say for those, uh, and then also some of the pros, but yeah, I mean, but also when you're working for a, a bigger company, you know, you have, uh, less, less ownership, right? You know, and 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 less uh, loyalty in some sense because it's like, hey, you know, you're a dime a dozen now. We feel like we're at to scale that we don't give a shit that you work here and that you're special and that you can do this. We can get five other people that we believe can, you know, do as good as you, which isn't always true. But they seem to skim on, or, or they seem to, to to focus on the the basic skills that you have and not focus on your superpower. And the reason that may be because you have so many different type of liaisons or middlemen or whatever you want to call them that are kind of, um, 
I don't know, they're, they're blocking your true power, right? They're only, they only want certain things from you, and that's all they're able to tap you out for. So they're not able to, to dig in deeper to find out what you really are extremely good at. They only focus on what you signed up for the position for and, and just say, okay, well, if he's an engineer, I just want to hire him as an engineer. Do these certain tasks. It's very task-driven versus if I'm an engineer and I want you to do, you know, come up with something unique, when you're working at a startup and you're going to have a unique scenario where you're actually going to be doing some product management and engineering at the same time. Right. And some, and a little bit more of a, uh, back end, um, architecture that may be something uniquely, you might be really great at doing maybe in a smaller startup, you know, you have more, you know, ownership to do that and, and show your quality. Whereas at a bigger startup, you might not have as much chance to, to go off of that, the script, right. Cause they have these rules, these regulations and really somebody's over there telling you what you kind of need to do and how you need to kind of already do it. Cause it's already been built. I think one of the reasons for that is also like the lack of room of growth, what you just mentioned, um, because I also recognize it in, in at, at polar, for example, or in my own NGO that you have like from day one, a lot of responsibility, um, but the motivation behind it to to overtake this responsibility is also very big because, for example, you, you get equity in the company, you get like huge benefits. Uh, there's a huge potential for you also like when you're secured funding and grow within the company. For example, what was uh, the case um, when it came to me? I got promoted quite fast um, and started originally as an unpaid intern um, I basically cold called the the founder that I wanted to join, um, got promoted pretty fast. Um, and those are all those benefits. And to be honest, because I recognized that there are so many advantages when it comes to like working in very, in very fast paced um, environments or startups or projects, um, I can't really imagine to go to a bigger corporation where everything is already set in stone. You have like five other people who do the same same stuff at you. Same shit, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, to say shit, but I didn't want you to You can be, say it. Say shit. Shit. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I, I didn't want to want to bring your uh, your podcast to an, to, to an explicit yeah. side or so. Yeah. It's not explicit, but I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, say what you feel. I mean, you know, I, I totally agree. You know, there are a lot of advantages there. And that that's something that I've also realized too, especially living out in Silicon Valley, is, you know, roughly the base house or, or average of the houses here are roughly around like one point, at least one million at least, or 1.2 mm -hmm. just for a standard house. Whereas anywhere else around the world, it's way less than that. Or maybe it's like 100K or 200 and you have a big mansion, right? Almost, right? Yeah. But here it's just everything's overpriced. Everything's overpriced. Everything's overpriced here. And so- what that does is that uh, encourages you or the individuals to mostly chase after uh, the money, right? The money, the green, right? So usually yeah. hear that people want to chase after the green, you know, the dinero. So this is typically what happens here. Um, and, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense. You know, it makes total sense because we're looking at things from a perspective of how much can I get versus how much can I put forth effort? And when you're at smaller startups, you do take the risk that you might lose everything you work for. Um, at bigger companies, you take the risk that, hey, look, I already know exactly what I'm going to be making and plan ahead accordingly, 
right? It's not usually going to change so much, um, but you don't have that much room to growth or scale up, right? You know, your startup is at a, a, a seed round and now it hits to a C round. Now that same equity that you've put in there is now worth, you know, depending on who you are in the ranks is now worth, you know, millions. You're not yeah. going to get that at a, at, at a, at a big company like a, you know, a, a Google or, or et cetera. On the other side, the risk is also pretty great. I wouldn't say that that joining startups would be would be a thing for everyone because, like, the probability of really of of joining a startup um, as well as one of the first employees and going through like up up to, up to an IPO or private sale or so, um, it's it's a pretty long run, um, and. The advantage of being young and already like be at some in some sort of position um, is that if Polar fails, for example, um, or any other project that, that I will start or uh, be part of, like in the next two or three years, no one will actually care because I'm I'm still young and um, being risky is more easily for me than for some sort of like I want. I would say like say some senior Google engineer who already earns like 200K per year um, has already some sort of reputation as well um, and who has to risk like his his um, his whole work life or, or professional career for, for one adventure um, in, in the <laughs> startup um, but still has to feed like his, his, his children, for example. Yeah, you got you to gotta feed the kids, man. You got to feed the kids. Yeah, kids exactly. need food. You know, like little worms and birds, you know, hey. Yeah, man, uh, I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, you got to do it. Yeah, man, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I agree with you 100%. And I think where I'm at is, you know, you're right. The younger you are, the more risk you can take. But at the same time, you have to think about this as well. You know, um, sometimes you, you don't you don't know the time. So sometimes you got to yeah. take risk no matter what. Sometimes it might take you longer to grease those elbows, right? It may take you longer to get where you need to be before you can actually take a lot of the risk you really want to take. So for think about it, for example, a guy like, you know, I'm not going to ride Elon Musk's, you know, his horse. But um, if you look at guys like Elon Musk, for example, um, he's been taking risk his entire, you know, life, you know, moving from South Africa mm-hmm to Canada, to United States and, you know, not joining into a big company because he thought it wouldn't get hired and then just said, Hey, well, let me just start up my own. And luckily that panned out for him. Then he, you know, did another thing and then it kind of merged with PayPal and then out of PayPal, he leveraged that, you know, good 200 and some odd million and put that all into a couple other companies he wanted to do because he built up that leverage. But once it took him to get to at least PayPal to where he had to take those baby steps to make bigger risk. Right. So he took yeah. a lot of his bigger risks in his later point of his life. Right. And what I mean by that is he made all this money and he said, you know what, I'm just going to fucking throw it away. But at the same time, he knew he could make that money back because he had these great friends who were now all millionaires or billionaires at that point. Your Peter Tills who invested in Facebook, your Reed Hoffman's that put their money in, in you know, and, and founded LinkedIn and numerous startups and also in uh, investment firms. Right. So if we're looking at it, there was a big there was no really loss. Um, for him, the 100%. PayPal mafia, actually. Yes, exactly. So, was there really a loss? Was he, would he really ever go broke at the point when he was at PayPal? And I mean, sorry, when they built PayPal and they exited and sold it? No, all of his buddies all um, were, were millionaires, or some may have been billionaires at the time. Can you hear me? 
Oh, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? I can hear you. <laughs> yes, the, the, the audio ju ju just broke. Um, I, I would say, like, it's, it, it really much depends. There's a very interesting study that showed, like, that founders around the age of 45 have the, have the highest probability of building, like, something very successful. Um, so the level of, of, of failure is, like, bigger um, or let me say it in another way. You can fall off um, a longer way uh, when you're when you're uh, when you're older. But the probability of really losing um, your, your project or to to fail it um, becomes also like a bit um, a bit smaller. So there's like a trade-off, um, and and you definitely have to have to find your individual age of funding something. Um, because like you also get more experience, um, which is also like an advantage that younger people do not necessarily have. Right. And you know, you kind of know what you want, right? You kind of know what you want. Yeah. You've had a couple of failures and you've built yourself from resources. So I think the reason why I was saying that is because earlier we were talking about the whole, you know, the whole, this whole myth of, you know, if you're young, you can take more risk. You know, you see a lot of articles where, a lot of, you know, uh, media, you know, gurus have basically quoted these things. And I've always thought those didn't sound completely right. Everybody has their different path and it takes time to build credibility. And even when you get, you know, I mean, but don't get me wrong. I mean, you can't be at the, at the length of PayPal where you've made 200 some million and then go work for, you know, Google, uh, as a PM. Yeah. Like it, it, there is a certain room of trajectory that you can't go back on or it just looks weird. Right. But I'm just saying like, to a certain perspective, you know, certain people can, um, you know, get to a later age and start making bigger risk and continuously make risks their entire lives. Um, it, it does come with some downside, right? I do agree. It comes with some, you know, it's, it's better to do it when you're young. I mean, Elon Musk, you know, I'm not quoting on anything of his life. I don't know, but it seems to be that he he's paid the price with his relationships and his, you know, his family at some sense, right? divorces health as well health yeah divorces i mean he did gain yeah. a little bit of weight recently he gained a little bit of weight love it elon but you gained a little bit of weight um <laughs> got to get that gym back going on but uh you know we love you we love you um working hard for us like we appreciate it yeah um yeah man i mean do you know what i mean like it does pay a price you know building shit pays a price it does yeah but i agree with you yeah. younger the better, the easier it is to do that, and you have more uh, you have more ability and flexibility visually and financially and social pressures to react. But there's something else that I do think about Julius too that you know I could also sit there and touch on is that I always sit there and say to people if, if you can look back to any point in time in your life is really go back and think about what you would do different. And one of those is building um, I, I would think a more easier way is building uh, credibility with credible companies initially and then leveraging and then taking that money yeah. and that credibility initially when you're really young and then putting that money and spreading it out in different types of investment funds or whatever it may be. And then also keeping some of that money to build startups because now you've might have raised, maybe you made 200K for five years, right? Maybe you got taxed like 30% yeah. or whatnot. Think about all that money that you have now. What could you do with that money? You could have invested some of that money. You could have put some of that money into now a startup. You have runway to kind of build something for the next two or three years. 
right? But if you that's actually the yeah that, that's actually the typical way of anyone or of 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 the majority of people who are very interested in in being like some sort of part of the startup ecosystem. Just go to 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 any consultancy directly after after graduating, um, earn a ton shed of money. Um, and then jo join a startup or f found your own startup or go into into a VC and and be, be like join as an associate or so um, and then do your own thing. Um, I would say this is also like the smartest way. I just do not really consider it for myself because I'm not really the type of guy who who can work for anyone else in that sense. Um, I was always like a pretty much self-starter. So even though I always knew that this is not like the most optimal way, um, for, for me, it was the right way because I also like learned a lot um, in the last couple of years and months especially. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree to you. I, I would say like earning a lot of money or working like for, I, I would Let's say Google or Facebook as an engineer on on the management um, on the management level um, is like of huge benefit because you can also like come more easily to investors, for example, when you have like some sort of pretty much good reputation at a at a bigger company. Yeah, that's totally right, man. And and, and you know what? You realize that in retrospect, but I think when I was at your point, I was thinking like even myself personally was like, well, wait a minute but I need to do these things now. I was thinking the way that you were thinking strategically. And, you know, cause I, you know, you mentioned some things, you mentioned some things and I have that same type of like a same type of DNA where it's just like, you know, sometimes going and, 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 uh, Oh, do we got you? Do we got you? Can you hear me, Julius? Uh Oh, hold on. Hold on guys. Hold on guys. We got to get Julius back. So back to what I was saying, what I, what I was saying to you earlier was like, you know, uh, before we had the interruption is that, you know, I have the similar DNA where it's just like, I, I feel like, you know, working with other people and collaboration is awesome and it's great, but some people just have this inherent, inherent, like, I don't know, uh, what is it? What is it where they can just like, they feel like they're better to build things with people than to work for other people. And, 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 and yeah. And people take that in the wrong way. They, they take it in a way where it's like, oh, well, you must don't really – you're not a good collaborator, right? But some people just aren't good employees, and there's a difference. There's a difference. Yeah. I totally agree because also when I think back to, to my school time, for example, I was never really the one who liked group works because I, I, I just always wanted to do my work. Um, really prove myself and then compared afterwards afterwards with others um but i was never really the guy who who really wanted to collaborate like directly from second number one um and i would say like this is like some sort of syndrome which i always had like throughout my life yeah but is it a, is it is it like a, a syndrome do you think or is it just more like a it's like just inherent in your dna is there like a leader dna i, I know there's like you know, uh, discoveries or research about leader DNA of some sense. And it's like, it, it feels almost like an itch. You just know it, right? It's like, you, you just know it. It's like, it, it's really hard. You know, you're, you're joining to these teams to work for other people 
And it's different from when you're joining in these teams to build something with others because you're more of a self-starter. You're more of a person who contribute at a higher level. You're not one, a person that's morally like about, you know, putting wood on the fire, the fire, excuse me. Right. Where you're just, the fire's already started and you're just continuously just putting on the wood and you're just good at putting the wood on the fire to keep it, to maintain it versus somebody who can come in and say, Hey, how do we start the fire with a group of people? And from the beginning, right. We grab these rocks. How do we start it? How do we start it? There's a different type of person uh, or, or DNA in that person who can start the fire and then, you know, bring on more people. It's different. It's totally different. Yeah. I'm also not quite sure if it's like part of my DNA. I would definitely say that it's like th- th- this intrinsic drive is, I would say, also generally speaking, um, part of an part of the ambition um, of a person. Um, but I definitely would say that, that like having a leadership position was always like the most fun thing for me. Um, I always wanted to be like in a leading position, always wanted to do my own thing. Um, also always was very ambitious to, to get like the best position as possible. Um, but it, like, I would say it, it would be quite interesting to look like behind like the uh, the uh, the science behind like ambition for example i think that would be that would be a cool thing if there's like some sort of like dna or d- part of the dna or almond like existent when it comes to like this entrepreneurial drive well they say there's there is there is studies of uh of a gene that they they've coined i'm not sure how it is now or is it is adjusted but there are studies of uh what they call a, a somewhat uh, a leadership gene you know, people who are just like, oh, wow. who are driven to lead, you know, yeah. they're just like, you know, throughout times, throughout human, throughout human time, you know, there were these type of leaders. There were these people who were just, you know, they had to lead. It wasn't like mm-hmm. an, an ego thing specifically. It was just like, they just had this gene that they needed to lead or they had to lead. They just knew it. You know, they just were alpha. And I think it sounds cool to be alpha, but not everybody is alpha. It's just like when you know, you know, yeah. but then there's these people who want to be alphas because it sounds cool. That's the problem you have in startups too. Has it something to do with those personality types? For example, I'm when I like start a project or, or onboard like a new employee of me, um, I always do like those those personality types because like from my experience, it's always like quite good to also keep the whole team efficient to know like what's the personality type of a different person is. For example, um, engineers are mostly like INTP, for example, I am ENTP or ENTJ, for example. Um, has, has it something to do with that? It may, I mean, it's, it, it is a part of a personality, right? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. but, but, within, yeah. but within things you have people who can, you know, who can take on personalities that are not naturally within them. Those are the, you know, those are the, the, the wannapreneurs, right? The one, the people who say who, they saw a, a Zuckerberg movie and now they want to build Facebook, right? The, there's a lot of wannapreneurs because movies and that's what changes. Well, if, well, 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 if you watch the movie, I mean, I, I, I was wondering like who, who does not want to build Facebook after watching this movie. <laughs> a lot of people did, man, but that's, that's what kicked started a lot of wannapreneurs, right? And, and some people yeah. actually became successful. I mean, let's just be honest. They ended up being successful because they saw the movie. It inspired them, and they just built something, and some people just got fucking lucky. Some people got lucky. 
and they built some shit and then now they're now they are they became what they really weren't natural at great at doing but they they got on enough and it, it might have just kick-started and it did something so now who's to say there are there aren't you know it, it depends but um I, I was well well according to that there's also like one interesting thing i pretty much recognize like in the last couple of days right i'm not quite sure if you're familiar with the winkelvoss or winkel winkelvoss brothers yeah 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 ex exactly they pr pretty much like got fucked by by by, by the court um or, or by zuckerberg actually um like but, but still man managed to be billionaires both of them and um crypto. had like huge success yeah exactly even even after this also started gemini um, or Gemini, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it yeah. uh, in, in the U.S. Get it right. I, but, yeah, I, I have the feeling that some people are just programmed to be successful. It's a very interesting phenomenon, actually, um, that they still, like, after this huge failure and setback, still manage to be to, to be even more successful than they, than they would be without it, actually. I mean, there's people that are competitive, and then there's these people mm -hmm. who have ambition. And there's a thin line between competitiveness and ambition. And I believe that you can be competitive and also have that ambition that, you know, makes you competitive. But, you know, some people might have it from, for, you know, unnatural, re uh, how would I say, unnatural um, uh, reasons, right? Some people can have that ambition or, you know, that, that relevance to, you know, push on to build something because they're just competitive in the sense that they just want to win. But I, be I believe kind of, how do I say this? Let me back it up. I think that humans are inherently competitive in general. Just some are a little bit more competitive mm -hmm. than others. Because typically, if you notice, as you grow um, through life, you always have a friend who are always trying to measure themselves next to you. Subconsciously, yeah. doesn't matter what you do. You're going to do it. Everybody's going to do mm -hmm. it. Your parents are going to do it. You know, where was I at when I was your age? Oh, well, Julius, Julius, Julius. You have to do it this way, Julius. At you, at my age in Frankfurt, I was your age, and I did this. And you should do it too. And you should be better than me, or you, sh or, or you're lower than me. Whatever it may be, whatever's in their mind, people are going to typically measure themselves. And that was my fake German accent, guys. Um, uh, I, I can do it better. I can do it better. Um, anyways, he really can. He, he proved that like before the recording, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was trying to, you know, pay homage to. Uh, yeah, Germany. Yeah, love Germany. Anyways, yeah, I, I think like I think like people just inherently just do this. They do this. They 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 yeah. summon this energy that's naturally drives the human race, right? So this is they're always competitive, competing against each other. But I believe that there's some people who are uniquely the the drivers in the community. You know, they're just like natural leaders. To, to be the, the forefront team, right? The group. The, I would actually, let's coin it. I'm going to coin it here, call them the founders, right? Every every group or, 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 or following has the founders, right? And these founders are the driving force to push humanity to another, you know, an, another um, node, right? Let's use some yeah. computer stuff. We're, they're going to they're gonna push things to the next node, right? And then so on and so on. But the, within those founder um Within those founders, those founders can also separate and create new additional founders groups and then build other bigger things and keep on keep on permeating the actual, you know, founder gene or, or grouping and building different things and changing the world. You know, I mean, 
you've seen guys like, you know, uh, what was it? Steve Jobs, right? He went on to another team and, you know, got with some really good people who, you know, kind of had that similar founder gene and he helped, you know, do that and go to another company and do it and go to another company and do it. And he would just collaborate and find these group of people who had that founder gene and they would all just build these great things. He was the main leader within that. He had a little bit more stronger, you know, push and drive, but he still was able to keep on moving himself into different um, companies or ideas and then create this little founder core group. Right. Like uh, what, what's, what's yeah. his name? Uh, uh, Tim Cook. Right. Tim Cook, you know, and, and then then the designer of Apple. Right. Who did the iPhone, the iPhone stuff. I think his name's something. I I forgot. I know his name, but I just totally forgetting right now. But yeah, same thing. You know, th- these are the core founder type of people to build the company and push it forward. But then they could separate and they can continuously build. Some are a little bit stronger than the other, but inherently they, they do these amazing things. They're amazing fucking things. You get my point. I think you yeah. really much uh, <laughs> described, like, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Are you familiar with Peter Thiel's book, uh, Zero to One? Actually, um, yeah. Yeah, he, he also, like, talked about, like, for, for anyone who does not know the book, he pretty much describes, like, that you always should aim for, for being a monopolist um, and try to avoid competitive, like, some sort of behavior and really start, start your own thing in your own niche. Um and I think that this really much de- drives like real, um, real innovative ideas. Uh, for example, when you look at PayPal, when you look at when you look at Tesla or Amazon or any some sort of like those companies, um, they always like were the first ones in in their niche, um, or at least make it like significant, significantly significantly better um than like uh the 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 competitors you know i agree there's there's some things i agree with peter Thiel on and there's some things i kind of disagree on but we'll talk about some of them Mm -hmm. that i agree on and by the way uh zero to one i do have that book peter Thiel. you signed that book and uh yeah i keep it yeah thanks awesome yeah 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 um yeah i did that peter Thiel. yeah he signed my book zero to one over here in Palo Alto a couple of years back. Yeah. When it first launched out book tour. Yeah. Um, but it's another story, another story, but I, I, I agree. You know, he does mention how you need to take a, a monopoly, right? You need to take a monopoly and you need to yeah. go into a sector that doesn't have much competitiveness and competitiveness is actually bad, right? These are some of the, the energies that he kind of pushes in the actual book of zero to one. But at the same time, you know, let me play devil's advocate. Ooh. What about Facebook? What about fucking Facebook? Facebook wasn't the first social media. Yeah. Yeah. My, my stress was before Facebook, right? Well, let's go further. Let's go even deeper. Right? So now we've got, let's go down, let's go back all the way to the first social network that we know of. Um, that was in fruition or that was, you know, some, some spark of an idea. And that was actually Peter Thiel's, uh, I would say best friend, and also co-founder in PayPal, Reed Hoffman, where he built, um, I think it was called Social Net or Social something. I forgot what it was. I think Social Net or something net he built mm-hmm. first. It was actually the first idea that was known or publicized of a social network. But it didn't, you know, Peter Till told him pretty much to, if I'm remembering this exactly right, he told him, he said, hey, Reed, stop that, what you're doing right now. Hold on for a second. Come with me. Do this PayPal thing. then." After this PayPal thing, you know, exits, 
you can go ahead and do this uh, social network type of thing. And then you're going to have that, that power. You're going to have that reinforcement to be able to do what the fuck you want. Fuck you money. Fuck you money. That's what we call it. We call it fuck you money. Fuck you. I got money. I can do what I want. And he built that reputation. What great words. Huh? Those are so great words. <laughs> Music in my ears. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and, and I think it's, uh, it's uh, the same case for every founder, actually. And, and then he built uh, LinkedIn, right? Yes. Because I, yeah. remember, as I said, he built SocialNet, which was the first widely documented Silicon Valley or, or, or story of an actual first social network that was known that would have been the, the, the predecessor of any of the social networks that we know of kind of today for the most part. Um, of course, there were other ideas before that, obviously, but this was like the main one that kind of s- comes by the similar uh, uh, structure. Or, or was it was it social net or was it called six degrees? Something like that. But anyways, it, it um, there was an after that there was uh, there was another one from a, a founder um, of uh, what was it? There was a founder uh, from Google who built uh, another social network after that or during that period of time. And then after that, there was uh, what was that other one? Um, it was the one that Mark Zuckerberg discovered, and he copied that one. Friendster. There was Friendster, Friendster, All right, yeah, Friendster, and, uh, and Friendster, and there was, like I said, there was another one at the same time as Friendster that kind of popped out by a Google founder, and it was big in Brazil and big in other countries, and those were kind of the biggest ones at the time. And at that time, uh, Reed Hoffman had stopped the little social networking thing, and he had moved over to with P- uh, Peter Thiel and the, the other PayPal founders and built out PayPal. But then it exited. But in between that time, there was a guy named Mark Zuckerberg who was basically building this other product that he leveraged the, the idea of a Friendster. And he built a better Friendster, which was we call Facebook or the Facebook at the time. Um, and then he just you know kept on going. But then after that, then there was MySpace, right? Friendster fell down, and then MySpace was there. Um, and then when MySpace was there, what ended up happening is MySpace ended up selling the company. Um, well, actually, <laughs> MySpace was built inside of another company called Intermix Media, right? And it was brought by um, uh, uh, Fox, right? Well, well the, the parent company of Fox and, you know, Rupert Murdoch. And what he did is he sold the fucking company. Actually, the two founders, Tom and Chris D. Wolf, went to go visit Facebook. And on the, in San Francisco, and on their visit, they were in hopes or in discussions to kind of buying Facebook from Mark Zuckerberg. But as they arrived back to L.A. in Beverly Hills at, at, uh, at MySpace headquarters inside of Intermix Media, it was already sold. So MySpace was already sold without the two founders' decision. Wow. Yeah, because they didn't, they didn't own the company. A lot of people don't know this, but MySpace – Founders never owned the actual pro- the, the, the the actual property of the company, right? The IP wasn't theirs. It was built with uh, Intermix Media's computers, hardware, servers, money, and everything. And then they kind of raised money w- with with different things. But from what I understand, it was built with the resources of another company. So, for example, if you're in this company, Polar AI, and uh, you want to go and start using their resources to build another startup on top of that with their resources, 
now you you might say you're the CEO of this new company, but really you did it with Polar AI's uh, resources. So now Polar AR actually AI actually owns your actual company, and so you can't make decisions about something that you started off of their resources. It's actually their company. Kind of like a very bad and too dominant accelerator, right? Yeah, exactly. So pretty much what happened is they just sold the company. So when they got back off, the company was sold, I think, roughly for like $500 million or something like that. And, yeah, they got a cut of that. And, yeah, I think Tom just travels the world. Chris is now in gaming. You know, they were on top of the world at one time. And, you know, MySpace, I mean, uh, sorry, Facebook, once that happened, there was no other players in, in sight but Facebook. So Facebook had hit critical mass. And Peter Thiel understood that in order for Facebook to dominate it, which was monopolize it, as you say, zero to one, he had to get rid of competitors. And he had to hit critical mass to where Facebook was a utility, where it was like a phone service, something people needed to do, which is where it is now. And if there weren't a few, I don't know, I would say even more like some godly things that happen, there would not be Facebook in its place of, of now because MySpace was still killing it at the time, right? But once it got sold off to Fox, it just it went down. The graphics got heavier. Yeah. Shit on the, on the site just got trashier. And, you know, the rest is history. And then Facebook opened up out of colleges to everyone because now it didn't have any competitors like MySpace. It was the only kid in town. Yeah. So two years later, it opened up to that, and then here we are. Execution and growth is actually like a very, a, a very important thing because also like when you look at the different growth uh, strategies that really boosted their, uh, the, the user numbers, um, like of course opening up to other colleges uh, at that time was like a huge part of that or to, or to the mass actually, um, but also like providing different languages within the app and having like a mobile app actually when like all this kind of topic around like smartphones and app stores uh, some sort like popped up and that really boosted their user number so it's also like quite interesting how how much influence like time or innovation in general has like on on the success of one particular app yeah i mean that does matter but i feel like when you're at a point where myspace was versus facebook you know one was more of a true silicon valley company and had that spirit and had the, 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 the proper investment um, people behind them, the smarter people behind it versus, you know, the business people like in MySpace at the time. Everybody there was predominantly business guys. They were LAized, right? They had this, let's just build something, flip it, you know, make some money off of it. We're rich. Who cares? You know, <laughs> it, it was a different type of entrepreneurship. Whereas, you know, Silicon Valley gave a lot of different disciplines like, Let's build a company long term. How do we, you know, structurally keep Mark Zuckerberg in power and make sure that he can build Facebook to be that billion dollar company where investors aren't telling him where the company can go, right? Because if that didn't happen, and when he signed up with Peter Thiel, guess what would have happened? He would have been, you know, just like MySpace. The company would have sold off to some investors who would have had higher share or equity, and they would have just sold off the company and made decisions for the company and sold it to another company. Because remember, many companies wanted to buy Facebook. But yeah. Zuckerberg had. What do you think? How much? How, how how much power should like those real businessmen have like within a startup? Because in my opinion, those kind of businessmen are like very important for the long term success of a startup. 
um, but too much influence also like provides the startup of like having like actual real drive and and innovative ideas and this like typical entrepreneurial spirit. Wait, say that one more time. I got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah, um, I mean, how? Wh what do you think? How big should the influence of those like typical businessmen, for example, that were like involved in MySpace, uh, be in a startup today? Because, like, in my opinion, um, kind of an influence of like those real typical businessmen are very important for the long-term success of a startup. Um, but too much influence is also like providing a startup of having like real innovative ideas and like preventing to, to, to breathe like this entrepreneurial spirit and drive. But what's the question around that? Are you asking me like, what? Like, I'm, I guess I want to grab, I want to, I want to zero in on the question. How big should the impact of those real businessmen be in the startup? Wow. Um, I think that, I think they, I think their impact shouldn't be as much. There should be more people who are your advisors, right? Think Julius Caesar, right? Julius, you know, let's think Julius Caesar, you know, Julius Caesar had predominant, you know, power and say, you know, he had influence over his, 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 his team. Right. But because of that also power, what ended up happening is, you know, his team members, his founder group ended up assassinating him through jealousy because they knew he had too much power, right? They couldn't take it from him. Right. So you think about Zuckerberg, you know, a modern day technology, you know, Julius Caesar, where, you know, he's even, you know, styling his hair like he's a, a Greek. Um, you know, <laughs> he, he's fascinated about the Greeks, by the way, um, if you didn't know that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, if, if you think about it that way, he's positioned himself as the Julius Caesar. And the only way you can really get rid of Zuck, which you have the government's trying to jump in and doing different ways, is unless somebody internally just like gets rid of him. Because you can't get rid of him because legally he is the man, right? You can't, you can't shake the structure. He has to step down. If he doesn't step down, no one can move him. You know, he has the iron fist. And, you know, he is the dictator, dictator of the meta, right? They changed the name meta from Facebook. So these are things that are awesome, right? You know, to push the innovation in a different direction. And you have whistleblowers. You have all kinds of stuff going on, you know. But inherently, if you think about it, you know, I think that a founder should have this full, uh, um, you should have the full, you know, power to be able to dictate and, and say what they kind of envision for the future. Because when, when these leaders or managers or funding people kind of get in, they kind of distort your direction and you're the person that kind of built the baby. Yeah. What do you think would it be of an advantage for, for Facebook or Meta actually to, to get rid of Mark Zuckerberg? Because, like, of course, in my opinion, like, Facebook did a lot of things wrong in the past, um, especially, like, in the last couple of, like, three to four years. Um, but because I'm also, like, a big fan of the Metaverse and this whole, like, trend around it, and everyone is currently speaking about the Metaverse and those changes, um, I think Meta of Facebook actually did a right step um, to to enter like a new, very innovative area with a lot of potential. But I agree with you, but how, like, but, but, but Zuckerberg did that, right? I mean, he pushed it in the direction of meta. I mean, he's been the, he's yeah. been the idea guy, but I guess maybe I'm confused on what you're asking. Are you saying, yeah, explain that one more time. I'm confused. I'm asking a lot of questions twice, but go ahead. 
do you think it would be an advantage for for Facebook or Meta to get rid of Mark Zuckerberg, even though he's like this this big, still this big idea driver? I think it's. I, I think no. I think you need Zuckerberg at to some extent. Mm. The company's vision, long, uh, you know, in the long run, has not matured a hundred percent. You might look at it and say, okay, well, Facebook is you know hit globalization, but companies like that need consistent innovation throughout time. What is the next platform? For Facebook, social networking is kind of done. Apps are mostly kind of saturated. So what else? What is the next platform? And I think a lot of founders or people in the founder DNA gene, or maybe people even outside of it are thinking like, what's the next new hot platform? What's next? The real life. <laughs> right. I mean, because we've got, we, we did the internet with, uh, you know, with our, our web devices. Then we went to mobile. But now we're on mobile. Now what's next? Like, is, what's the future? So is it the metaverse? Right. Is it AR? I mean, AR, you know, is that the thing? Augmented reality? Is augmented reality the future? Is, is it's like a hybrid or is it just the whole VR thing, the virtual reality, like meta? And I think they're vetting in both. Um, but I think the thing is, you need a guy like Zuck to be able to vision that out and push that out and drive the force. And people like to follow a leader, you know, they like to follow a leader, somebody who's won in the past, you know? Yeah. You had Napoleon, you know, people follow Napoleon because he had some success. And, and some smarts in the game, you know, people want to follow that, you know? Um, so, and, and just like Julius Caesar, right? People want that leadership. And Especially right. in times where people are like very confused or where like times Direction. are not very, yeah, exactly. They, they just have like some sort of faith or hope for a better time. And they want to give up like responsibility from themselves um, to, to let someone others lead them um, and to solve their, their personal situation. And not even that, you know, somebody who just has good vision. There's a difference of a visionary versus just somebody who's just founding a company. A visionary is a person that can see things that an average founder doesn't see, right? You know, they can see something like magnificent, you know? They they have these, you know, in, these massive ambitious goals. Like, why don't we go to Mars and settle? You know, you need a, you need a really, really, really alpha, 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 alpha plus to be able to push off that type of uh, innovation, or initiative in general, right? You know, so when you're thinking about that, you know, hey, I'm going to build a social network, but this social network, everybody in the world is going to be on it, and they have to use it daily. That's a big ambition, right? You yeah. know, and 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 also coming up like with co constantly with new ideas. I mean, that's where you get, you know, you get great people to work for you. You get smarter people to work on you on small things. This is about. This is something I always say. This is where it comes into getting. You know, finding people's superpower and putting people in the right positions. Zuckerberg did a great job and as a leader of doing so, right? That's what's also made him a great founder. He discovered the superpowers of certain individuals and put them in the power and gave them this full um, anonymity to, you know, do what they want to do and do what's needed for the company, excuse me, not what they wanted to do, what's best for the company and the direction. And he agreed on, you know, and I'm pretty sure there's some overlap of his ideas with their ideas. And then they just push it forward. And, you know, he puts these people in certain powers, but at the same time, if you start off in a lower level within these companies, they'll never see your superpower. Yeah. But I think, um, the phone has nothing with it without the team, actually. Of course. Um, because especially when you're in a tech startup, I mean, I would say it's a different thing when you start just a small business than, for example, like a real tech startup, especially when you have like a non-technical background, as I do, for example. Um, 
I really much appreciate like every technical tech or engineer in general I work with together because they also have like another approach to to everything you to to everything you really mentioned or come up with, um, and they really they really sharpen your actual product at the end. You said they're actually what at the end? They actually sharpen your your idea or product at the end to make it more way more efficient than it would be originally without like this uh, this technical opinion. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think anytime you're building some type of technical um, tool or product or physical thing, you need technical advice because you know they are going to build it. So at some point they can simplify it, but at the same time, a lot of technical people cannot simplify it. Actually, you can have a founder who understands technology or, or you know, or, or knows enough to be able to navigate it on how the experience should be. Does that make sense? So what I mean by that is, example, uh, Steve Jobs, I'm going to coin it. Not every founder is Steve Jobs, of course. But for example, <laughs> Steve Jobs was a guy, you know, who wasn't technical, but he knew what you needed to get out of that experience. He knew how he to judge the He was a design and marketing mastermind, actually. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And, and and when it comes to like startups or like in the innovators, com- innovative companies like itself, um, there are two sides that are very important, like on the one side, like the technical or engineering side, and on the other side, like growth. And this also includes like the design pretty much. Um, and when it comes to like scaling a startup, which I also like uh, pretty much um, pretty much now experience at Polar, um, growth and the, the, the connection between engineering and growth becomes more and more important um, as long like as soon as you really want to grow your your user base um, or the company itself. Yeah, that matters. Um, but I mean, I, I think in general you need you need um, somebody who understands the vision. You need somebody who understands the technical constraints because sometimes you can have many engineers who don't understand the usability of a product. As a matter of fact, you know, as, you know, studying, you know, um, computer science and things like that is like, you know, for me, I realized a lot of engineers didn't understand the fundamentals of building uh, a great user experience. They understood how to build products, but not a great user experience. Mm-hmm. This is where you have product designers who come in, you know, the whole, you know, uh, skills, uh, the whole uh, product team and, and join it. And then you also have like your, um, product managers, your user researchers, as you grow and scale. But, you know, earlier on, your product designers will actually, you know, handle a lot of those things and also your product manager. They'll wear a lot of those hats with the actual engineers to help guide them in a direction for more usable product and do usability testing and things like that. But sometimes some engineers just inherently have enough just to get it kicked off to where it can grow, right? They don't, sometimes they don't need it. Sometimes they have just enough to do it. Zuckerberg was, you know, he was an amazing or at least a, a, I would say a pretty solid state-of-the-art, you know, user experience guy. I mean, he thought about the whole experience, and he also, de- you know, he designed it, he developed it, he did everything. Because at that time, there was not that much of a, this is a product designer, you know, this is an engineer. It was just like, hey, when you build an app or you build a website, you have to also design it. It was just the way it was. There wasn't a separation. What would you do with a new employee that doesn't really like, for example, what would you do with a new engineer of of, of one of your startups that doesn't really get your your vision for the whole product when you would be a founder, um, but still like understands how the 
product works and also understands like how the user thinks about your product. What would you do with that? Would you still hire him or like involve him in, in, in the, in, in the company itself or would you, would you get rid of him or her? That's a tricky question. I think you have to really, you know, um, whether how that person is valuable. And then you also have to look at yourself and say, well, Hey, what is about the vision that they not get? Is it my lack of communication or maybe they're just not getting the way I'm explaining it to them? Sometimes it could just be you, right? Sometimes it can just be us, right? Sometimes it could be the way that mm. we're explaining it. It doesn't get, it doesn't, it doesn't, it actually doesn't interpret to that other individual. And sometimes we have to reevaluate ourselves instead of just being, oh, well, this person doesn't get it. So maybe they just don't get it. So let me just hire somebody else. Maybe they just don't get what you're saying. Maybe you're a bad communicator at the actual vision. Or maybe that person just doesn't get how you're expressing it. So I would work on first, A, you know, um, simplifying the idea and the vision. And you also want to highlight what they actually really aren't getting, right? Like what is it they're not getting about what you're saying as an idea, right? Because you need to really signify that, you know. And to not know that kind of I can give you a vague description of, of what I would be doing. But I think overall I would work on how I'm communicating that or where they're stuck at, where they don't get certain things, right? Because every idea should have some yeah. simplistic understanding or logic or whatever you're trying to bet on, right? Some type of direction you're trying to bet on, it should be logical, right? It shouldn't be something that it has to be super complicated where another person can't get it, right? I think that's also part of the pitch, right? You know what they say as, as founders and you know people building companies, you have to have that pitch, that elevator pitch, to be able to describe it to that investor immediately to where they get it. And that's where the founder's job is to articulate that to be the most easily digestible, right? Elevator pitch to where everyone can typically get it. I always want to say you want to make that elevator pitch so simplistic that a child should be able to get it. You should be able to tell a seven or eight year old what your startup does. And if they don't get it, that means you fucking suck. We can, and it happens. We suck. We have to work on our pitch. Founders we have to work on yeah, our I, pitch. I, 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 but there's a difference, though, Julius. Of yeah, I, I, I totally agree to. Oh, I was going to say, sorry about that. I was going to say, Julius, sorry about that. Um, there's a difference. What I wanted to mention there is like there's a difference of somebody who doesn't, who doesn't really feel your direction, who doesn't think it's possible, versus I don't really understand what you're just telling me. <laughs> you know, there's a difference because some people might not believe in it, and we might interpret that as they don't get it. Right? They might not believe in the direction you're going into completely. They might not be sold. Sometimes that happens over time. But typically what I like to say is I like to find people. I like to make sure that they understand the, the, the purpose of the project or the, or the goal of the company. And they love it more than I do. Because those people are going to work harder than you will sometimes. You know, sometimes you want people that are just love the idea just as yeah. more as passionately than you do. And I've heard like guys like Gary Vee. He'll sit there and go on a rant and be like, no, 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 this is your baby. Nobody's ever going to work. Nobody's ever going to work harder than you on your baby. There's some truth to that, but there's also some falsity to that. And what I'll say behind that is people, if you look back when, you know, and I'm going to give this example at, you know, Zuckerberg, when he built Facebook, he had Duskin Mausovitz, his roommate, who just didn't know how to code. But this dude says, you know, hey, I want to join the company. And, you know, Zuck's like, hey, well, Dustin, you don't know how to code. He's like, yeah, but wait a second. Give me a week or whatever it may be. He comes back. He reads the entire book of C++. And he said, hey, I'm ready. Within a short time. That's busting his ass. 
you know, he showed that he took on initiative to basically, you know, be, how would you say, to be that actual person. Ooh, sorry about that. But I was talking about Dustin Malsevich of how he showed, you know, that initiative to be that other person. He showed that he would be that other founder. He went above and beyond where he had to be. He just didn't say, okay, Mark Zuckerberg, he knows everything. I can just be like a little salesperson and maybe help him out here and there. He went above and beyond. Whereas times when Zuckerberg, you know, was kind of forgetting about the idea and he was wanting to do work on new projects because he's a entrepreneur. He wants to flip ideas. He has so many ideas. He wants to try new things. And, you know, it was guys like Dustin Mousevitz and his founding team were like, no, let's work on this. And they kept it going, you know, and Zuck would have given up a long time ago. Yep. That's, that, that, that's, that's especially important, I would say, like in the in the first days of, of a startup, um, because like there will be times that are so fucking um, so fucking hard. Um, you, 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 th- there are times or days where where you just want to give up, and like having a team around you that really goes above and beyond for your project, uh, for, for your own project actually, um, and just to have like this belief in your in, in your own project is like such a such a great support. Um, and also like motivates yourself to also like having or filling out this, uh, this, this um, leadership position that you have. Yeah. So to answer that question back again, to clarify that I would, you know, first make sure that I'm explaining the actual solution or the problem correctly and revisiting that and making sure my elevator pitch is approachable or acknowledgeable to even a child. And then I would go from, once I feel that it's there and I've proven that, through talking to many of people and simplifying that process to where people who don't know about your space get it. And then once I feel I have that, then I would actually go ahead and then I would revisit that other person and think about, do they level up to that? And if they still understand what the goal of the company kind of is, but they don't believe in the hundred, they don't know exactly if it's going to be where it needs to be, be, that's okay. But at some point you want them to be able to have that ambition and passion past you, or at least as a similar level to you to where they believe in the product too, because sometimes you may drift off and it's not all the time that you should, but it happens because you get excited and you just want to build stuff. And, you know, you need somebody to keep you on track. Say, Hey, wait a minute, this is great, but let's keep on working on this, man. To keep you on track. Cause sometimes you just need it, man. Sometimes you need that uh, therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think also like the first step, which you mentioned, um, has a lot of to do with getting feedback from your employees as well. Um, just to have like, because nobody is perfect, especially founders, not who might be like also like too ambitious about a product idea, for example, or a specific feature that they really want to implement. But it, actually, it's quite shitty. Um, so also like getting regular feedback, it's a very powerful thing and you only can grow from it. And it also like keeps the, on the, on the one side, the atmosphere and the whole startup and in the team, um, up, but also the efficiency. Agreed. 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 Um, it's an amazing thing. So yeah, Julius, tell us about polar AI. What does that exactly do? Cause I know you said it's about donations. What are we talking about donations? Well, donation is actually like a topic of my of my second project, Third Aid, which is my NGO. But at Polar, we we connect like artificial intelligence with learning and researching. Um, I pretty much 
call it like Google, but for your own repository. Um, we also have a lot of uh, upcoming features coming out soon, mostly related to, to AI as well, um, but also to note-taking. Uh, for example, like think about Notion, I would say like this is the most known um, yeah, service for that. Um, yeah, it, it's a great tool. I definitely can recommend it. We are still in private beta. Um, so yeah, just sign up and wait, wait for us to be released. But we already have like a couple of thousand uh, monthly active users. Uh, that are already in private beta um, with and early revenue, and we want to raise like our first round. Hopefully, when everything goes well, uh, beginning of next next year. Um, yeah, th- that's it basically. Yeah. Well, how are you making how are you making ends meets right now? I mean, like, you know, where are you you know how are you how are you paying the rent? Yeah. Um, I of course get salary uh, and and also equity, gladfully. Um, yeah, that's it. And this is also like the way how I found like how I fund actually as well my, my my NGO because my dream was always to have like on the one side like a social project and on the other side like a real a real job um, or or like a, a real startup for profit for myself. Um, just just to have like both sides covered. So I mean, you're building a startup, right? You're building a startup, and then you also work for. Yeah another startup and i'm also a full-time student so and yeah, I, I, I don't get a lot of sleep <laughs> as actually how, yeah how does the other startup feel about you being a full-time student and also having your own startup and then how are they letting you do that like a lot of people feel like you know you know there's a lot of jealous companies out there who feel like oh well you know he's gonna be working on my time building his own startup yeah Ugh. maybe that's a silicon valley thing but i, I feel like there's jealousy i, I, I I would say they just tolerate it because it's a non-profit project um, and because they also know that uh, where my priority number one really lies. Um, and I'm pretty good. Oh, like I became really good at time management. Um, I did a lot of mistakes where I just like completely forgot about my sleep, for example, or my health. Um, didn't do like any sports for a, co- for a couple of months, actually. Um, that gladfully improved. But I pretty much recognized that if you if you structure your day in different blocks, it is like a very powerful tool. For example, I like spend like two or three hours directly in the morning from a university to get all of my shit done. Um, and then I will completely focus on, on polar at first and then third aid. Um, and it, it, it really works. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's different. Though. I think like, for you know, for your unique scenario, I think I understand what you're saying. But for many other scenarios, there's a lot mm-hmm. of jealousy within the space where people feel like, for I, sure, yeah, yeah, they feel like you can't do anything else. And I think that's almost bad because you want to show that there's these other people that you helped nurtured in a company, and now look what they've done. It creates like this culture where it's like, hey, imagine if all these people from Polar AI came out, or your other company came out of your company and built other billion dollar companies. People are looking back at you and saying, Julius, man, Julius Weichenhorst, what did you do? This is amazing. Yeah, but, but I, I would say if, if, if Third Aid would be a for-profit project, actually, I would say that it will be, like, much more difficult because, like, there's also, like, this general rule when it comes to investors and VCs that they mostly, like, invest in founders and not real companies. Um, and they really want to see like a 100% commitment 
to the startup you you, you apply for basically um, or the, the startup you, you you want to be funded from from a VC um, because like if you if you're also involved in other for-profit projects you it, it doesn't really show like a, a belief in your own project and if you do not really believe in your own project as your as a founder why should they believe in your project and fund you these are the facts i agree why should they do it why should they do it it's amazing why should, why should they care if you don't care but you know what a lot of that you know i get some of those signaling but sometimes what happens is a lot of you know a lot of investors take this whole signaling thing to the limit. They exaggerate it. Everybody's not exactly the same, but I understand they need to create some systematic process or structure to try to replicate signals of what does success look like. But at the same time, it's not always said and done. Sometimes you might want to work on different projects and you might just do just as well. You can still do your job, but maybe on a Saturday you can work all day doing your own little side thing. I think it keeps your, your mind healthy. It keeps you, you know, in ideate mode, right? where you're just, you know, creating things and you're thinking different and you might learn some things and you can use some of those things to contribute back from your side projects to contribute back to your core company. But a lot of people don't um, actually say that. Like typically when I'm building things for, you know, big companies and things like that, I typically don't usually like to talk about the podcast, even though the podcast is, is soaring and doing good supposedly, right? Um, and hitting a lot of numbers. It doesn't matter. I try not to bring that into what I do um, day to day as much as possible, because I feel like it's a conflict of interest, you know? So there'll be people and companies, oh yeah, you know, what do you do? I'm like, well, I mean, I do this, but I also do this and I do some other things, but uh, I, I try to, you know, get away from the whole, the big podcasting thing, because people just feel like, you know, you can feel this, this like resentment or judgment of like, you know, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Why didn't I do a podcast or you know, or, or fuck, you know, he's doing something exciting. Oh, and it's, it's, it's working out or, you know, it's like, or, and then there's like, Oh, well, what happens if he, you know, he, he's got a lot of people watching and a lot of people are, you know, tuning in, shoot, how long will we stay here? You know, you have those type of ideas and it's like, Hey, you shouldn't focus on that. If you're creating a great company, a great idea, people are going to hang on. And even if they don't remember yeah. that person worked for your company. So you can build that leverage to bring in better people and more people. I totally agree to that. And I would say that, especially because of my age, it's also a very good way to test myself um, of what kind of skills I learned in the last couple of months. Um, for example, when we hired, I think, at Paula, like the 10th employee or the 10th uh, team member, um, I definitely recognized that I was also like that now very skilled when it comes to like hiring people, people uh, scaling up a team, um, setting up those internal processes. I recognize that this helped me a lot also like to, to implement it or to prove myself as well um, that, that I'm able to do it on my own and not like in the, in the set in stone company. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Yeah. Cause that, that's a whole nother skill set too. Being able to identify, those yeah. structures and how you want to hire and these processes and to make sure they make sense because a lot of companies do them in a ways where they don't even make any fucking sense. They make you do these ridiculous, you know, like for example, I have a beef. I have a beef that I feel is redundant. For example, if you're a senior engineer and you've worked at a top tier company, right? Let's say it's Google. Why the hell do you need to re-interview for the same unique skill set that you've proven already at 
Facebook, for example, or Meta or, you know, Amazon or whatever that may be, right? Another top tier fang company, why would you need to re-interview your same skill sets to prove what level you are? It's redundant. It's like once you became Lady Gaga or Michael Jackson, do you need to go fucking, you know, prove that you can sing again and perform? Ooh, sorry about that. We lost you again. We had two lost. But uh, what was I saying? So basically what I was saying to you earlier, Julius, just a second before we dropped off, I was saying, yeah. you know, pretty much, you know, what happens, you know, um, when you already have proven yourself, you know, you've won Grammys, you've won these major awards, but now somebody's asking you, can you act, you know, again, before you get onto this role? And I think some tech companies may look at it as like, oh, well, we're, we're seeing if you're right for this role, so you're casting for it. But it's like, no, once you've reached a certain point, do you need to cast for that actual, you know, uh, 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 acting role? Like, because they know who you are. Like, you've already proven that you can fucking act. You've already proven that you are, you know, um, Brad Pitt. You've already proven that you're Jimi Hendrix or Kirk Cobain, right? You've proven yourself. Why do you need to show, can you play guitar again? You know, <laughs> they, 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 that's completely true. But I mean, I think this this pretty much only only applies to like the, this this whole top level uh, because like I think I had like I would say five hundred to six hundred interviews uh, in in the last in in the last year basically, um, and I was really surprised by all those engineers who had like quite good and known companies on their CVs, but still did, didn't really get managed to, to, to get like simple things done uh, or, or to code like the, or to solve like simple coding problems. Um, so I'm definitely in favor to always like test new, new engineers, especially when you're in, in, in an early stage company, because like every employee uh, in an, in a young company has like so much impact that it's very crucial to hire the right people. I mean, I agree with you. It is really crucial to hire the right people. And you never know who those right people are. And, you know, I, I get it. But I find it hard to believe that an engineer from Google couldn't work and build problems at a, sen at a senior level, couldn't work and build problems at a startup. I just of, of, of course not. Like uh, definitely from Google, not. I would say like uh, every startup on the world will, wouldn't say no to a, to an engineer from Google, of course. But when it comes to like those, uh, let's call them tier three or tier four companies, um, I, I would definitely be in favor of, of of testing those people because you 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 just never know. Maybe also like a recruiter of this company um, didn't really care. Um, and from my experience, like testing people is always like a good thing. Um, also, like where, where, when it comes to be, being a good team fit, this is also very important. I mean, not only those hard skills are like crucial for a company, but also like ha having a great team atmosphere, for example. Yeah, I agree with you. Having a team atmosphere, for example, could be, you know, it, it, it's, it's good for usually a company. Um, but then there's this... There, it, it, it's a personal thing sometimes, right? Right. It's, it's personal in general. Like what you might consider sure, yeah. could be, of, a, of course. Yeah. Right. So what you might consider to be a personal fit might not actually be a personal fit. It might also just be another, uh, another person who's just a, uh, a I am person or, or do person, right? You told them they like to do the same things you like to do. So now you have a bunch of people who agree with you, right? They agree with everything you say, 
they build everything you want and they don't push the status quo, right? So now you're just building shit from yes people, right? Because you said, hey, yeah. I want to hire people who fit the culture. I kind of I, I kind of agree with the culture. I agree with the culture, but I kind of disagree with the culture because we get too stuck on these terms and these processes that we don't think out of the box. And you don't get thinking out of box solutions by having these processes sometimes you know deeply embedded within the companies, right? I get it. There can be cancers. There could be not so good fits, but it's really I think people need to be careful of what is a good fit. Because we have internal biases on what that may be, and we may be hiring a bunch of yes people, people who just say yes to everything we do. And, of course, we like to be complimented. We like to be complimented. We like people to say, oh, Julius, that fucking sweater you're wearing is amazing. You know? And, you know, you're like, yeah, I picked it out. I picked it out. It's great, right? I love it. You know? And they just say everything you say and everything you do is, is predominantly good and it's great. You know, I believe in that. They might challenge here and there, but then they just go back to agree with what you, whatever you're trying to say. So it's kind of tricky. It's like you want to have these people who kind of think differently, who have a different background, and will challenge you. And I think a lot of people are afraid to bring in people who challenge them and will write them off as not a culture fit because they challenge them. And this is basically the reason why it's very important in my opinion to also like have some sort of company principles for a startup, especially what you want to see in your employees, because I definitely agree to you that you do not want to hire like any yes saying people um, only, but also like for, for me, it's very important to hire only people that have like, for example, very strong ownership of what they're doing, that they are willing to take over responsibility that they have like some sort of scientific approach and really can like um, logically explain their, their their opinions, for example, to to a new product feature idea or so. Um, this is definitely important to to also challenge yourself as a founder because it, it 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 can be very fast that you that you get into some sort of tunnel uh, when you're a founder and when it comes to like like making decisions it's always good to have like people around you that, that are really come challenge you and also have like very very strong ownership about the product and the and the company itself yeah i mean you're right too in there but i i just think like in general it's like we have to be careful about these processes we have to be careful about structures and all these little you know trendy names that we put into our design or excuse me within our hiring processes where we just think like oh well let me just you know, I think you do need to interview people, obviously, right? You do need to talk to them. You need to fill them out. But you need, you know, you need to try to make sure you have this unbiased, you know, um, uh, conversation, right? And it's really hard to do that. I'm not saying it's easy. But I think typically what you'll Ooh. find is a lot of companies will have, you know, this culture that they call culture, but they're actually just yes people. They're a bunch of people who act the same. And so you begin to have this type of culture that is yes people, people who are just like throwing you know, they're maintaining the fire. They're not pushing things to, you know, to the next realm, which is where you get these mundane products of innovation, right? Which is why you have companies like, you know, Meta, who are just, you know, acquiring companies now. They're not innovating shit internally because the people who probably would be innovating typically aren't getting hired, or if they are, they're smothered by lower positions. Yeah. What would be like, if, if, imagine you would start like a new company and would set, like scale a team up. What would be for your like questions that you could ask in the hiring process or like some sort of topics that you could speak about where you identify if 
if someone would be a good team fit for for you for your project actually i mean that's a big one but i think a lot of things is i could usually look at somebody's work um depending on what position it is i, I really mm. would need to see that you know like if it's an like typically when i'm in, when i'm interviewing a, an engineer you know the whole fucking you know do they need to leak code and all this shit like this as a startup i don't need to do that i can typically say hey show me some projects of what you built and i could typically go use them and I could check out the functionality of them, how smooth things run, right? How fast is it, you know, lazy load? You know, I could check out some of the functionality and I can tell if you're, they're intuitive enough and, how, and how, how in depth they thought about things from an engineering perspective. And design is another thing. You could have did a shitty design, but the engineering, if it's smooth, if it lazy loads smooth, I'm keep on scrolling. It, they thought about, you know, maybe I'm going to have 10, you know, uh, profile photos, for example, just doing something silly out there uh, at one call, right? And then I'm going to load another 10, then I'm going to load another 10, then after that, another five, then maybe another 20, and et cetera. There was a, a systematic, smooth process that they did through trial and error to figure this out. It was a lot of thought mm. behind it. I can go ahead and use different products and tell where somebody didn't put a lot of thought behind it just through usability testing. I can test products that they've built, right? I can see it. Designer, the same thing. I can see what type of designer that might be a fit for typically my company visually. I can just look at the fucking projects that they've worked on. And I could tell, okay, this person would fit in doing these things. Um, but not everybody can. You know, of course, there's, there's more cultural questions. Do you fit in? Do you get this energy and vibe from this person? Those things matter too a lot. But at the same time, I can kind of tell their vibe and their energy and their motivation. But if you don't, if I don't feel safe with that, how I would do things, how I would, you know, re-innovate things is I would put people, I would never hire anybody first offhand. I would just do like, you know, contract and then hire, you know, I would do three months or maybe three to six months contract mm -hmm. and then hire full-time pay them at their regular rate that they would be getting paid as if I hired them. And then, you know, then full-time them in after three to six months. Instead of hiring somebody on a pro on a probation period of th of ninety yep. days and then firing them, fucking up their resume for some decisions that I felt were my personal opinions, right? Or I felt they personally couldn't do the job, or I personally didn't like them, or I thought they were a bad fit. You know, you don't know those things until you get in there further. You can't guess those things, right? People try to guess those things into these processes, and it's harder. And I think really, without seeing people's work and really being a good, you know, like a lot of these recruiters. They'll contact you, but they don't really know how to evaluate a good product. Typically, not all, some of them do, but not all of them do. A lot of them don't know how to evaluate a good engineer. And sometimes maybe they don't have time. And so that is a thing too. So it's like, how do you do this to scale? But I think initially when you're building a startup, you really need to take time to understanding who you're, you know, building things for. Do you have engineers who really understand you know, uh, what real smart engineers actually have to go through besides just saying, here's this leak code, solve this problem. Because you can learn those problems. You can learn leak code. You can go online, study these similar processes that you know a company that is a big company is going to actually, um, excuse me, um, that a big company is going to actually uh, put out there for you to learn and to say that you're equivalent or you're smart enough. Once you learn those, mon you know, those, those kind of like uh, copy and paste structures, you know, or, or problem solutions that they might throw at you, you can just kind of scale that and consistently just pass. Like, that's why there's some people who are great at interviewing. They learn these certain things that they know to get into these companies, and they just copy and paste at any company they go to. And some people who just figure it out yep. or, or they try but it, it doesn't match. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
Um, I, I, to, to what you said first, I slightly dis, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I disagree with that, but I think from my perspective, there's a lot that comes with it. For example, if you hire like a designer, for example, how does the designer work together with an engineer? This is, for example, only stuff you, 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 you very have to investigate because when you like simultaneously scale a team up very fast, you don't have time for, for for anyone in the team or for every new team member that he or she like learns some sort of skills like in, in the next one or two uh, months because like time is so crucial especially when when you're very fast paced i think that you even in in that time or like especially in that time have to be very careful about like who 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 you're hiring and that you really have to have to take care about this this personal fit and also like not very hard hard skill um, side, but also like those soft skills that are very important. Um, yeah. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I just agree about how hard we push these processes into things because we may think that we're doing all these things. I typically mm. see people think they're doing all these things, you know, and they're thinking they're doing these things by scale. Like all the things you're saying, I see tons of companies will do these same fucking ridiculous tests and they think that they're doing these things that you're exactly explaining. But the problem is they fucking don't know. I've been in positions where I've interviewed with people and they're like, oh, we're looking for a cultural fit. Oh, we're looking for how to work with collaboration and teams. Oh, we're, th- we're looking for, let's say a designer who's looking for intentionality. I'm like, fucker, listen here, buddy. Has any of your fucking designers ever built anything by themselves? Have they ever gotten any partnership with Fortune 500 companies based <laughs> off of the shit that they built? Have they? Have they fucking done it? No! The average fucking one has never done it. You know why? Because they're just putting fucking wood on the fire. This is what I'm saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But you, how, do you, yeah. how do you measure that, right? Yeah. yeah I, I, I... I'm just saying, man. It's like we, we try to do those things. We try to do things. Sometimes you got to do things that don't scale. Paul Graham. And so some of those things have to be sometimes you have to really reevaluate your hiring process and you have to think about some things strategically instead of just going about things in a way where you feel like, oh, I've got this process and I need to see if they can work with teams together. Obviously, this fucking guy or this person or woman or whatever it may be built these things previously. And I've investigated this person built some of these things or was involved in these things. Obviously, this person has some sense of something here. So let's just see what those things are. Let's talk to them. Let's fill them out. Let's just be natural. Let's be not so judgmental, but let's just see what we really want to find out. But I think a lot of people, they look into these things and they have these assumptions like, oh, you know, I mean, I've been told, I've done interviews where I've literally been told in the past, like, oh, this person, oh, you, he lacks intentionality. Who the fuck are you? You never did anything. <laughs> what did you do? You just got fucking hired here because you copied a process from your friend who worked there and they told you the fucking process and you just copied that shit. And then you went to an interview and you said, oh, this is this. This is this. Oh, this is the intentionality. Oh, this is design thinking. So I should look for this and I should do this. And you learned that shit. You learned it. You copied a process because you know the process of entry. And now you just you just copy that anytime you speak to anybody when it comes to a hiring manager. And now you just learn the hiring process. And now you're in the fucking job and you can just glide because you just copy that same fucking process and people fucking like you, right? But what did you fucking push? Did you innovate anything? No. 
All you did was throw wood on the fucking fire. This is why you get companies who fucking just sit there and acquire other companies because at a certain point they lack innovation because they hire fucking me people. Yes, people. Yes, yes. Oh, he's, he's like me, culture fit, but he's like me. But we don't really know what these people do. We try to figure out how we can measure those things. And we, we, we overdo those by just looking at these, these uh, superficial processes we create and we copied from another company. We read online, what is the hiring process for an engineer? What is the hiring process for a PM? What is the hiring process for a designer? What is a, like, how, you, at a certain point, it's like, can you think outside of the box? And can you do this to scale? And it's tricky. I understand you need some mm-hmm. type of process to scale, but at some point, how do we, how do we start thinking differently, right? How do we think differently? Elon Musk said he's creating a school for his kids. He doesn't want to put his kids in the standardized school. Why? Why? Because they've processed everything down and put this little process of judgment of whatever they want you to follow to do. Whereas Elon Musk has thought different. He said, you know what? I want to push what people are good at and put them in positions where, they're, where they would thrive. And I, and I push this down to a thing like uh, um, uh, Albert Einstein said. You know, uh, I think it was to the form of, you know, if you judge uh, a fish's ability to climb a tree, it will think it's an idiot's entire life. Yeah. This is this is what it's happens when you do like processes. A, a, yeah. 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 I, I, I totally agree to you. We also switched up like our hiring process like multiple times, for example, we, we pretty much found out when we want to hire like a senior people. We always ask, um, or I always ask, um, what's your biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from it? Not not to judge the person, but from my point of perspective, nobody is perfect and everyone has like one, at, at least one one bigger or major mistake or failure in, the, in his or her career. Um, and it's always interesting to get like, what did the person learn from it? Because like, we only get better from from our mistakes. Uh, that's basically my, my, my philosophy. Um, and it, it, this this worked out like pretty well. On the other hand, uh, we also try to like the the number one reason for for um, for uh, rejecting candidates in our hiring process was like for for a longer period of time the lack of English skills because we are an international team and communication is very important. So we thought about, hey, what about that they just send us like introduction videos, for example, 30 seconds to one minute to us, and we can like, without even have to have to speak with them, um, we, we could just evaluate them and, and, their, and their English skills, basically. But this turned out like as a really bad idea, and we like stopped it after one week or so because we recognized this is just like unfriendly as hell. Um, it, 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 it prevents us like from actual good candidates who were just not wanting to record a video of them themselves, which I totally understand in the after process. But it's also like a thing: if you wouldn't have tried it out, you would still ask yourself, "Hey, what if we would implement like introduction?" videos in the hiring process maybe it would be better for the process itself um so i i think i think it's important to make those kind of learnings also as a company because like especially when you when you're a startup you you have to try 
different things out to see how it works out, what not. Everything is very fast-paced. And of course, you do mistakes. But on the other hand, like, um, you, you learn from it and you come to like the real, the, the, the real efficient way. I agree. I agree, man. I agree, Julius. But like I said, I mean, like the whole, the whole video thing, you know, that, that I already knew that would be just under a crash. See, the, I think my point is everybody tries to do these psychological analysis and process driven things and everybody's different. Everybody's different. Everybody. Remember Albert Einstein. I'll put it back to that same fucking quote. If you judge a fish's ability to climb a tree, it will think it's an idiot. It's fucking entire life. So when you're thinking about things, when you're hiring people, you can't always hire people in a scale process. You have to do things like Paul Graham said, do things that don't fucking scale. If we're doing that with our startups and our companies, don't we don't, why don't, why aren't we implementing this shit in, in, in our fucking hiring processes? We need to hire people that we feel that don't follow a fucking process. We need to find out what their superpower are. Like, what are you good at? Show me what you can do. I need to kind of test things, but I get it. We, we have a short time to actually do that. So it's like, how do we do that with as less time as possible? And so we'll get a lot of wrong yeah. signals and we'll hire a lot of wrong fucking people because we'll create these little processes that are biased because they're what we think would be a good candidate psychologically. Some people might not be good at video. Some people might fucking suck at video. Actually, a lot of people suck at video. Some people might be introverted. So now you got now you picked up a, a, a yeah. different uh, personality type, but they might be great at creating shit. You know, I've seen guys, you know, I'll put it in a, in a musical perspective or even in, in an engineering perspective. There was guys who sat in their fucking garages and changed the fucking world. You know, Nicholas Tesla, he sat in the fucking corners. He changed the fucking world. You know, he, he worked for other people. But you just let this fucker go off and just you do something. <laughs> this fucker, we just need some stuff. You go ahead and do it. He's like ambitious as fuck. He didn't really need tons of people to do this. He, you just gave him some fucking resources. This fucking guy went right. But if we would have put down a, if I could have created a, a test that would have been not so uh, friendly for his uh, superpowers, he would have failed, and he would have never got hired. As a matter of fact, he came to fucking United States because he wasn't doing good in his in his in his country in Europe. He wasn't given those opportunities that he was. He came to the United States because he wanted those opportunities, and he wasn't even doing what he first originally came here to actually do. He was working shitty jobs. <laughs> <laughs> but but I could have said he was a bad employee. He sucked. He's not a hard worker. I could have said all those things. I could have said this fucking guy sucks at picking oranges. He's a horrible worker. No, he will never make anything of his fucking life. But again, if we use that same Einstein principle – and we try to find that person's superpower, right, within that skill set, we might be fucking amazed. But when you put people in projects and things that they really kind of don't want to do or environments where they don't actually, you know, they don't actually like, they don't actually, you know, excel faster in, we will get a wrong signal. And I think we try to copy and paste these processes of hiring these core people that we care so much about that make up the team. But yet we're doing these things that are process driven to do fast <laughs> hiring. We're like, oh yeah, we just need yeah. some. We need some great people that are, you know, going to be innovative. And we wonder why our companies fucking suck after five years, and why we're not doing shit. And we got to acquire fucking companies for ten or twelve or thirty billion dollars because we fucking our processes is not to scale. We're not. We, we got shitty interviewers and recruiters who really don't know how to pick out entrepreneurs. And the entrepreneurs that are at the top, they don't have time for that shit anymore. So they're just like, 
Nah, deny. So somebody who doesn't have the, the actual knowledge to hire somebody properly that is innovative is, is firing the motherfuckers, right? Like, for example, WhatsApp founder. WhatsApp founder. WhatsApp founder, yeah. He was at Yahoo. He had tried to work for Facebook, I think, a couple of times, or maybe it was one or twice, whatever it may be. He tried to work for Facebook, right? They denied him. They said he wasn't good enough. Bro. Then you had to buy that fucking that same person? cost them a lot of money. You think? So this is the same type of thing. And even if you go back to yourself, Julius, you even stated earlier on in our conversation, you said, hey, I have a different type of DNA. So imagine if, or different personality or ambition, whatever it may be, right? Imagine if people judged you on a process that, you know, didn't push your superpowers. You would, they would think you suck and they would pass on you. When you could be right there, the fucking next Elon Musk. But who the fuck knows? Elon Musk said to himself, he went into, I think it was Netscape offices when he came to Silicon Valley. And he was like, hey, I wanted to get a job. And I stood out in the lobby and I got scared and thought they wouldn't hire me. And I walked away and said, maybe I just can build my own thing. Because he felt that he wasn't worthy. So how do you hire those people? According to that, I think Bill Gates also like said once that he always looks for the most lazy people, which is like la la laziness is like a, in, the, in the public like a very a very bad attitude. But he explained that that he only wants like or, or that that he had that he looks for lazy people because they get the job done like the, the, as fast as possible because they do not want to spend like so much time on like. A, a specific project and this also like fits to your quote like quite well i would say i agree with you man and i think that's a good thing but bill gates also said a lot of things he had a lot of uh he, he had a lot of reflection of how he looked at his hiring processes in life in general in the past and you know he, he used to think that you know you had to have this great you know uh phd and master's degree and etc and he used to only hire towards those type of skill sets but then he realized that that didn't fucking matter as he grew. But somebody pushed that in his brain or he thought, you know, in his brain, you had to be this highest achiever in order to build these great things. And then he changed his mind later on. Of course, he said, you know, the best people in my class who had the highest grades now all work for me at Microsoft. <laughs> so yeah. th this is another thing again. So if we go back to that same thing, if you judge a fish's ability – to climb up a tree, it will always think it's dumb its entire life. So if we looked at certain – if we did a process and we said, hey, this process tells me if you're going to be a good employee, it signals that to me. You're going to think a lot of people are not good employees because you went by this process instead of looking for how do I find the superpower in this individual. And you're going to assign them a different task and different teams based off of the wrong process or hiring, uh, hiring processes. So, for example, if we go back to the WhatsApp founder who didn't pass a Facebook uh, uh, interview as an engineer, they said he wasn't good enough, obviously. I mean, because he, he didn't get hired, right? But this guy built fucking WhatsApp, right? So at what point did we fuck up or did they fuck up, you know? At what point did they fuck up? Was the person who was a recruiter not smart enough to find out if this person was, uh, you know, this innovator and bring him into the company where he could have built some shit like that in the company and the company would have had WhatsApp. What was the point where they fucked up? 
And I think that's hard. It's hard to figure out where you fuck up. Do you think he just wasn't ready at that time to join Facebook? I don't think he ever would have. You know, I don't think he – I think Facebook wasn't ready to hire him. I think their recruiters weren't ready to hire him because, again, they have a process, a process. Nice, yeah. And when you don't pass this process, that says you're bad. You can't do it. You're not, you're not a fit. So by default, you fucking kicked out a guy because you built yeah. a stupid little fucking process. You didn't try to find this person's superpower, and you didn't put him in this uh, unique position that you just like – you just kick them to the curb. So, okay, well, you know, based off of our process that our other designer or other engineers created, you're not smart enough to work here. But what the fuck did he build? He built something on the level of Mark Zuckerberg. The dollar empire. Yes. And, and if he had to probably go through a design challenge or something like that within the company of Facebook, he would have failed. I mean, he would have failed. And you know why? Because he didn't understand the process of the hiring. But once you master the hiring process for most companies, you can get in mostly any company. And all those signals that everybody's trying to measure, once you kind of learn the majority of them, you can get into any company. Right? You can get in any company. You do the leak code. You just copy what the leak code requirements are and what they're most likely going to test for. You just get really good in that. Anytime somebody gives you that code, I mean that, that test, you pass. As long as you, you know, have a decent personality, you don't have to have the extraordinary personality. You pass the test. He did it. Okay, there you go. This is our process. But that process, it, it, it kind of works to scale, but it doesn't work on efficiency. And I think that is the point that ends up costing a lot is you end up losing a billion-dollar you know, founder or a, a, another person in your company that could have innovated something that could have made you this much more money than you had to pay for that person. Because how much did you pay for all those employees that you hired versus the one person or a couple of people that you just denied and didn't bring in because your process sucked? <laughs> Sometimes our process is sucked. And that's what I'm just saying is like the hiring process needs to think about how what, do we. What, what, what do you think? What could have Facebook. Oh, what was that? I think you cut it out. All right, go ahead. What'd you say? What Facebook? What? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Where, where, where were we? Oh, you were asking. Yeah. I think you're going to ask like, what if? What, what was do Facebook? you think? Like, what yeah. could have Facebook? Yeah, exactly. In in your opinion, what could have Facebook done did differently to 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 integrate him like in in the company or to to push him through because like or to or to at least like. Um, have the ability within like such a big corporation to have to to let those creative minds be creative enough to to build like WhatsApp out of what out of Facebook, for example. I think you need to look up different attributes, ambition, different soft skills, mm -hmm. ambition, ability to work on them in the, on its on them by themselves, abilities to work with groups, and see what they can come up with. I'd like to see what people can come up with before I'm bringing in candidates. I want to see what people can come up with because you never know when people just get this spark. People learn differently. So you might not notice these magical points. That's why I believe like you can – if you can contract certain people in for the first three months or six months before they really gravitate and start really understanding some ideas, you have a, a, you have a good signal that they kind of could be something solid, right? And you do things you know, to a point to where they don't scale. Um, I think you can kind of evaluate, you know, what they're good at and what they're, you know, what they're not, you know, you can give them specific projects and, and tasks. It's, it's cheaper probably than hiring or firing tons of people 
and going through all these different mm-hmm. recruiters, contacting different people and interviewing them and putting all your work, putting all your energy and resources into just interviewing, interviewing and interviewing. And you're not, and you're coming up with a lot of blanks. You're just putting, you're firing, you're hiring a bunch of people who just put wood on the fire. And once somebody yep. learns how to pass the test, you're just hiring people who just learn how to pass the test. <laughs> and typically what happens, I, is I, I, they can copy and paste that same test. They can teach it to their friends. They practice with their friends. This happens at a lot of these big companies. I've been <laughs> in the conversation. You have a friend. This is, and then this is another thing too. A lot of these companies will do these things where they uh, have a, a referral process, which is where you refer one of your friends. But typically, a lot of those people that are referring their friends, they're also helping their friends pass these tests and telling what people what they're looking for. And so they just learn what they're looking for and practice that, and then they get in. And the people that don't, don't get in. To also get the referral bonus, of course. Well, do you want to – you're going to get that referral bonus because you actually – if you really help that person. So they're usually not going to try to refer somebody that they think, that they think they're not going to be able to help. Uh, all right. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why the, the people are real stingy or sticky about like who they refer because they're not going to usually refer a random person. Sometimes it does happen, but you know, cause some people have to fail. It's like about a part of the numbers. They don't really care. They're just, some people just like, don't care. They're like, Oh, I would give out referrals to some people who might, I met and just, you know, whatever happens happens because you know, Hey, it looks like I've given out some things and some people failed. So it looks like there's this failing thing. If everybody was passing, you know, Zuck might or another founder might come around and say, hey, what the hell's going on? Why is everybody getting in? That looks bad on the reputation. Let's have a lot of people that fail. Makes us look good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a fake. It's, it's, it's a it's false. The same applies probably for Harvard or yeah. all, all those other Ivy League, uh, Ivy, Ivy League universities as well. Like it's, it's basically the same the same system. Yeah, I mean, if you go, if you go at a lot of, uh, you know, uh, higher, you know, Ivy League schools, they're not fucking learning anything harder than what you're learning. They are just actually pushing you to do more things like build companies and to be innovative and to open your mind. They're pushing you to be more creative and to build companies. They're pushing you with these ideas to think more freer, whereas smaller and shittier schools are pushing you to kind of just do these mundane jobs. Very process driven. Ivy Leagues are not as process driven to a certain extent. I, I I think a huge part of those Ivy League universities is also like who you're studying with because like the competition at Harvard is like so much more higher. Like every, everyone already built like three, $3 billion companies uh, before they started Harvard or like, of, of course, it's, it's exaggerated. Um, but uh, like you have all those high achievers like at one place. Uh, so it becomes like, even more like difficult for you to stand out. Yeah, it does. But they look for different attributes. For example, my co-founder yeah. in my first startup, he uh, went to Harvard after my startup, mm-hmm. and that got him the actual meeting to uh, one of the professors. The professor gave him a letter of recommendation to Harvard. He also had the solid grades, um, but he wasn't an expert in math. But he was good enough, and he was proven to be ambitious. And they want winners. They want winners to yeah. graduate out of schools because what does that do? Smarter people realize that if you hire winners and they come from your fucking circle, it makes your circle look better. Yeah. Stupid companies think, oh, what if this person beats me? Or what if they leave? Do you see what I'm saying? What if yeah, they leave? What, totally. if he, what if Julius builds a billion dollar company while he's working here? Oh, my God. 
<laughs> he's not going to work on our project and we're going to be out of him. So we're going to lose money. No, dude, you want people like Julius. You want people who have founder DNA to be at your company and let them work on their side projects. Just as long as they're getting tasks done. That's all that matters. And if Julius becomes super popular for building a billion dollar company, they know he came from our company and that's the DNA of our company. This is the kind of stuff that comes out of here. Yeah. Do yeah. things that don't scale. That's actually a nice perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I never really thought about that, but also like it, it's a really common thing that also like for, for people at Google or, or Apple, for example, that, that they still like work at those companies and start like with all those different side hustles. Um, as, as soon as it becomes like big enough for getting like VC funding, dropping out of those big, big, bigger corporations and really like, and evolve like in, in their own projects. Yeah, because I mean, here's the thing. There's also another process when it comes to funding. There's a biasness that comes into funding. You know, there's a biasness in general. For example, before I worked at bigger companies and bigger orgs in tech, you know, a lot of people, I would talk to them about my ideas and the things that we're doing and executing. And they were like, that's amazing. That's great. But where do you work at now? Or what did you work before? What's your background? Everybody was digging into your background. And what they were looking for were signals because they had a process. Mm. Their process was, did you, already, did you already work at Google? Did you already work at Facebook? Did you already work at these companies that we approve or we think are good enough? And if you worked in those, then your opinion matters and your idea matters because we feel like you have enough money and you left it and you're smart enough to get in these companies that obviously you can build something else. So it begins to be like these tag yeah. and these reference points where it's just like, oh, Julius is an ex-Googler who wants to build a startup. You know, and it's like, all right, cool. Julius wants to build a startup. So, you know what? I go back to my investors um, in my firm and it, he looks like a safe bet. Who did you give the money to? I gave it to Julius because Julius, you know, is an ex Google guy. So it sounds like a smart buy before I give my money away or other people's money for my firm and invest it into a good who is just not a random dude who's just like, oh, who's Julius? Oh, it's a guy who came from, you know, Germany and he has a startup and I like the idea. What'd you give my money to? Oh, no, 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 no. But if you just say it's Julius, he's an ex-Google engineer, and he came up with an idea, and he's a pretty smart guy, and I gave him uh, 500K. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Sound nice. Yeah. What's it called? It also, it, it, it also looks like way better on your pitch deck when you have like the small Google sign beside your picture. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I can also like quite understand it because like also we see our investors in general need some sort of benchmark or proven track record to 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 keep their personal risk low um or as low as possible actually um but like yeah of, i mean for, for example if, if you look at and I, I don't know who like for, for example elon musk who was he before paypal for example um and who would have known that that this guy would like change the world and like it, I don't know, first flight to Mars uh, in, in a couple of years. I mean, no, nobody would have known that. Because we, we have, again, we don't, we, don't, we, we don't hire and we don't invest in things that, uh, that don't scale. We hire on things that we see that's, that we've come up as processes to scale. And that's why we fucking miss out. This is why investors miss out on big opportunities and big founders who could have built amazing things. This is why a lot of founders actually fucking never create the ideas that they ever push out because – they may lack certain skills that or you know or signals that these investors or you know founders may be looking for or hiring managers they might lack them 
they might lack the signals and the processes that they've embedded or put in place. And you use that signal in the, in the direction that might not be fitting for an introvert. He doesn't pass. If I'm looking for somebody who's, I say on my fucking, you know, hiring process, I'm looking for somebody who's outgoing, you know, um, who's, who's, who's a, who's a self-starter who's a driver. What happens when you're not outgoing? Do you look like you're a self-starter? Do you look like you're ambitious? You could be ambitious and a self-starter, but maybe you're not yep. outgoing. You fucking failed because now they, they got these signals in and they put these guidelines up that we're looking for people, you know, who are like this. And if you don't fit that mold, then you're not a good person and you're not quality enough and you're not a team fit. You're fucked. You're gone. They just missed out on Elon Musk or Julius Musk, right? They missed out on you. Right. But for, 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 from your experience speaking, I mean, you, you already like worked in a couple of bigger corporations and why don't they just like change their processes? I mean, they have so much resources because so many big because the people that so good ideas because the people and I'm sorry about that. But to clarify that you're asking again, why don't bigger companies change it? I don't fucking know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've, I've recently asked these questions again. A lot of stuff is redundant. It doesn't make sense to scale. And maybe it's something to do with the, the, maybe it's something to do with time management. Maybe they don't have fucking time. Maybe they haven't found a more efficient way to hiring. We need more innovation on the hiring processes and the funding processes because they're mundane and they're copy and paste. I remember when Zuckerberg was getting funding, you know, and, and Facebook was big and it came out. All these fucking founders were looking for guys that looked like Mark Zuckerberg or sounded like they were Mark Zuckerberg. So if you had a great idea, it really didn't fucking matter. Did you fit the type script? Did you look like uh, a Jewish guy from fucking, you know, uh, you know, uh, New York or United States or anywhere around the world? Let's fund this guy. He has an idea and he has a decent school or he has some product, but maybe it doesn't have millions of users or whatever or not. People were doing t shit like that, and it's typecasting. This is why you see a lot of the founders typically look the same around the world. They typically look the same. They have similar backgrounds, and it's like, are you fucking kidding me? The fucking guys who <laughs> built the pyramids didn't look like Mark Zuckerberg, right? The fucking guys who built pyramids in China didn't look like Mark Zuckerberg. You know, th th there's there's difference. You know, these Aborigine tribes in Australia didn't look like Zuckerberg, but they built all this cool shit. Right. They did these amazing drawings. People look different. So when you try to typecast things, you're doing things to scale. You're not doing things that don't scale. So you miss out on a lot of creativity and diversity into mental skill set and then also uh, 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 cultural uh, 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 skill sets. Right. Where there's different perspectives that somebody from a different culture might not understand. Right. You, you've seen it with when you're doing copy, when we're doing copy for different products, a person who doesn't understand a certain culture might just do a generalization of a, of a copy and might do some investigation, but they're not a part of that culture. So they might not fucking understand the full picture and they might make some type of mockery of it and not realize that it's fucking offensive or it really doesn't fucking work. But they did some user interviews and they tried to figure it out. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree to that. Um, and I think the, the, this could be also like a great goal for the podcast itself to just yeah, have, have such an impact of, to, to those bigger corporations um, to, to completely rewrite the, uh, the hiring processes. It's broken, man. It's fucking broken. If you haven't figured that out by what I've said to you within the last 30, 40 minutes, it's fucking broken. 
the hiring process is broken. It hasn't been innovated since. And everybody's just reading the same fucking books. They're reading the same fucking books by some dude who worked in another company who wants to get rich. And so he came up with some principles and he said, hey, this is how I judge a good designer. <laughs> this is how I judge a fucking yeah. engineer. And then everybody reads the same fucking books. Oh, yeah. So let's do this. If let's see if he can do this task, because I read the book of Atrium. Have you read this book? Have you have you read this book? It's so good. He says you should do this. I fucking wrote that book, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I can write the same fucking book and push that to you. And now you're going to go tell everybody fucking that Tavares wrote this fucking book. And now you're going to copy that same shit. Now every fucking body is going to be a bunch of sheep. And copy that same, you know, mental mold that I just fucking created a process. And they're going to say it like it's truth. Because now I just fucking wrote a best. I could sit right now, write a bestseller book of how to scale companies. And I can come up with some terms and organizations within the book of how you would do that. And then have everybody regurgitating that shit all through the startup community. How to be a great engineer. (laughs) <laughs> and applicants just read it as well and uh, yeah completely pass your uh, pass the whole process of course and, like, you didn't win anything yeah yeah because you, you yeah you didn't totally. think like you didn't think like albert einstein you didn't think like that you just fucking judged some fucking silly ass process that some other dude created and this is why i always laugh when people sit there and say oh you know you know like when somebody comes with an idea like yeah you know i mean you know, I've, I'm thinking about building things like this, and somebody says, oh, well, you're not Elon Musk, or you're not Mark Zuckerberg, or you're not this person. It's like, wait a minute here. Those motherfuckers were somebody before they fucking were somebody. They were nobody before they were somebody. So now you know it. So how can you judge who's who's who? How do you know that you're not the next fucking Zuckerberg? Yeah. How do they know you're not the next Elon Musk? So you telling somebody, who do you think you are for saying that is almost ridiculous in some sense because you never know who the fuck you are, right? You could be this little dude who's homeless and could be the next billionaire. You don't fucking know. So don't judge people by these silly ass processes and skills in life. But that's what we try to do to try to judge people fast. We look for signals. Oh, he's got shitty clothes. He's poor. He's homeless. He's, He's not worthy. Oh, he has no money. Oh, he has a nice car. He's he's somebody. After our podcast, <laughs> I, 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 after this podcast, I will I will I will definitely look at my and my hiring processes again, and will update you de- definitely to uh, to what uh, to what I changed. Because I mean, I think it's quite beneficial to have like some sort of settled processes. But I definitely agree to you that you should be like look more to the individual itself and like really look at those those soft to those soft skills um because like talent is so important especially for early stage projects um that you can't really afford it to to miss out of talent no you can't they 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 end up being very expensive right they end up being expensive mistakes and this is the problem that it's not just i'm not just mentioning this for guys like you know Zuck in the past, and you know this is happening. If you go back and look at the fucking trajectory of many companies, many of these billion-dollar companies, and you know Microsofts, they're acquiring all the time because you know what? It, it's almost better if you can just go off and figure it out how to build a company by yourself on the side and get it to a certain level, and then get somebody to acquire you before you actually go working for somebody. Because guess what? They won't really look at your true quality. They'll just look at you like you're dumb. Or you, you can only do the certain task. Oh, you're an engineer. You can only do, you're a level, you're a level three or you're level four. 
I'll pay you this. <laughs> it, it, it's a systematic structure. And and and, and after and, and 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 after two years, you you get a five percent uh, pay rise. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I see it as well. Um, My, I, inflation adjusted, not of course. I mean, dude, I have a friend, and I'm not going to mention his name. But for example, we always talked about this. You know, we were talking about this at Stanford. You know, on campus, you know, a couple of years ago. And I remember I was like, I was always, I was just pretty blunt. I was just like, I always think about how the system and the structure of the world is just so fucking copy and paste. It's so weak, but we all stand around like, no, we're so original. And it's like, no, it's so fucking fake. We look for these little small attributes and we judge it on everybody and do it fastly. I understand we want to do it efficiently. We don't have that much time, but how do we think to things and look at things that don't scale? Because I think it saves us money in the long run, um, lots of money. And I told him, I was like, hey, look, you're working at such and such fang company. And, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to leave. I'm getting this much money and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, dude, but you've been in that same fucking company for five years. You haven't moved much um, from that position. Like there's so many other people that are ahead of you that want that same position. So you're never going to fucking barely move. And somebody you could be better than is never going to let you get up there. So what the fuck are you going to do? You're almost better going off, starting your own fucking thing and then having them buy you back. So guess what he did? He fucking went over to this other company. And he spent two years with some founder guy who already had a repetitive uh, you know, track record to build little startups and sell them off. And he did that for two years. And now he's at two years. And guess what? Another big fang company came to him and offered him a VP position. He would have never got this fucking VP position. And on top of that, they didn't ask him to go through the interviewing process like everyone else. So what would have happened differently if he would have went on the regular process and tried to switch to that company, he would have never been in that same VP opportunity. And he would have still had to interview some mundane process over and over again. He had to get out away from that company and prove himself and, you know, in a short term time and boost himself up, then go back and have them look at him as eye candy. How do yeah. we miss that? How do we miss I that? I th I, th I think the, big, the the real big question is just like how can you like change your individual hiring process to like do not miss out on those talents um, and and to and to really look at the human itself um, because like you you only have a limited time of course and I think like the the, the best idea would be just to yeah it, 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 just to do it like on your system or what, what we do at Polar as well. To just see like if a candidate works out after like a, a and as good as possible like hiring process that you already have set in stone. Yeah, because I mean, there's more than one way to solve a problem, and somebody might come up with an amazing solution, but they might do it totally ass backwards from the way you would think of things. For example, I've built plenty of things with different types of people and in, in, in general, whether it was a, a car or fixed things or a guitar or amp. But there's so many different ways, you know, to do things efficiently and come up with different ways. And it's amazing when you see people do things differently and still come up with a success. There's so many ways to cook a successful fucking plate of food. And you never would have thought of that. You never would have thought that fucking ingredient would match. This is why you go to you have great chefs like Chef Ramsay who goes to India and goes to different countries and learns from these random ass chefs. And he's like, yo, what the fuck did he just do? Like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but this fucking tastes amazing. But if he would have judged them by the processes of what his area would say is good and how you would properly do it of that process, he would have fucking said, this person's not a good cook. 
They can't pass. They don't look what they did with the food. They put this spice here and they cooked it this way. This doesn't make sense. He's gonna fail. That's it. Or I've seen a person play guitar and people learn guitar in different ways. Some people who just will listen to a music and they will just be able to play it. Amazing. Some people will fucking be able to read music and play any music that they're able to read. Some people who read music can't fucking just hear music and just start playing. But then some people can create more original music. So how do you judge who's fucking better, right? Kirk Cobain was not a great guitarist. He was a shitty guitarist, but he was great at coming up with the whole holistic melodies and, uh, and, and expressing himself for that time. Jimi Hendrix was an amazing fucking guitarist, right? Amazing fucking guitarist. Mm-hmm. But do you know when he was playing in the United States, fucking nobody wanted to fucking put him in bands, Nobody. He, he joined a couple of bands and he wrote on their success of like big celebrities at the time, like um, Little Richard, you know, a wop, bop, a loo, bop, a wop. He was a fucking back, background guitarist for fucking him. Are you serious? He actually fired him. He said, hey, there's only room for two stars here. You're out. Right. And in the United States, they said, hey, Jimi Hendrix, you are not going to play fucking rock and roll because of your skin color. He had to move to Europe. He was getting kicked out of cars for his skin color. He had to move to Europe and England to and start playing over there. He quit the military. He started playing guitar over there, and he wowed fucking the, the English people. And they're like, what the fuck is wow. this? They were like, hey, man, you had guys like Eric Clapton. Like, hey, you guys need to come down here. This guy's going to take our fucking job. <laughs> He's fucking amazing. You know, this is what they did. He created his band in fucking Europe. But this dude was already in the United States. Wow. How did we miss him? Process. Yeah. Pre, pre-Janus and like said in stone opinions. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 it's very good. It, I, I think at some point it's like very difficult also to, to have the motivation to, to change your processes because like, I mean, look at Google or Facebook. They are so like they are already so successful. They have so much money. They just really don't have this ambition anymore or the motivation behind like changing processes to keep everything still innovative. I think like that the, the real change makers are in the, at, at that point, um, like startups, innovative companies or smaller organizations as well. Um, that just have like the, the motivation to find talents um, and, and really want and really keep them as well. Yeah, I think it's almost like finding talent that can just you know particularly do tasks to task, task based talent that can follow a, a script, you know, and just kind of copy and paste it. Even though we say no, we want to find somebody who can work on their own and things like that. That's not really what they fucking hire for. Because if there if if you were, you wouldn't be following this exact process over and over again for every single candidate. Think about that. You wouldn't be following a process over and over, copy and paste for every single candidate if you were trying to find someone who was doing things original or different or who could manage things on their own. I mean, come on, bro. There's no way. They're thinking the same. They're copying, pasting the same process. How are you finding somebody fucking different if you're using the same process to evaluate every single candidate? There's no way you're doing it. So, And it's obvious that they're not doing it because this is why you find a lot of these founders are – the biggest founders are not usually coming out of these companies. I mean, even look at – even look at guys like Kevin Sinstrom of Instagram, right? He was a founder of Instagram. He originally was working with the core founder team as an internship 
at, uh, at the predecessor of Twitter, which was called Odeo. And Jack Dorsey was not even the fucking CEO of, uh, of Twitter. <laughs> he was working for um, the other co-founders of Twitter. He was working for them. He was just wow. – he was a little shitty coder who wasn't that great coder. They didn't even consider him a great developer. He had learned a little code. He had moved from like the Midwest, but they just had him working there, and he had a little job, and he was just winging it. He came to Silicon Valley. He liked maps, and he liked you know short communication and shit like that supposedly, and they hired him at a company called Odeo. But Jack – but, but they ended up finding out that the idea of the startup wasn't working out that well. So they asked everybody in the little small startup group, maybe like four or five group of people, what else can we build and go back to the investors? Jack Dorsey came up, well, maybe we can do this Twitter thing. And that's how they built fucking, and that's, that's how they built Twitter. That's how they built fucking Twitter. But he was just an employee of them. He wasn't equal. He wasn't over the other guys there at the company. He wasn't the best guy, but look at him fucking now. And then look at Kevin Sinstrom. He was just a fucking intern at fucking Odeo. He was actually asked by some of the founders of Facebook around, around the early 06, 07 area when he was still in Stanford to come work at Facebook as just like a position as like an engineer. But he's like, nah, I kind of want to figure out what I want to do. And so he worked for Odeo, which is the predecessor of Twitter. And then after that, he went on to build Instagram. Life's, life's crazy, actually, because, like, it, it, it's, it's very interesting how, like, originally, like, you, you can go, like, from intern or from, like, some sort of unimportant employee at that time. You, you can move your way to, to, to being the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company and one of the, or one of the biggest social, social networks that, that exists today. Um, and, like, how big, like, hidden talent can be and how also like people can can make progress um in like in, in challenging times when they really can make an impact um and i think it also shows like leadership experience i mean imagine also also like the Jack Dorsey could just have said like no i have no actual idea about how, how can we change how we can change uh, the company um but but still man- managed to come up with his own stuff um and convince them apparently You've got to give people the freedom to just fucking create shit. And then you got to make yeah. sure that you don't have these people overlords telling them that, that their fucking idea sucks. Because of all these ideas, if you look through history, most people thought they sucked. Most people thought their ideas, and I think Peter Till can resonate with this. A lot of people will think you're fucking crazy. Your idea makes no fucking sense until it doesn't. Right? They think <laughs> it's crazy until it doesn't. So that's why I always laugh at people when people say, oh, my God, it, you know, I knew this person was going to be a genius. No, you fucking didn't. Most people are going to think you're a fucking looney tune. Most people are going to think you're fucking crazy. They're going to think you're crazy. Oh, Tesla. Oh, Nicholas Tesla's guy fucking building shit in the middle of the desert. What is he doing? Oh, he wants to change electricity. Oh, he's fucking nuts. Oh, he wants to go do something at the dam and change the way we're doing electricity. And yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, they want to go by a track record of a process to show that you've had these proven success previously before we take the risk. This is what we do as a civilization. And you can see it no matter what industry you look at. You go and look at the music industry. You see guys like Scooter Braun. Scooter Braun discovered, if we don't know who he is, he discovered Justin Bieber, right? Who's one of the biggest entertainment acts of our time right now, you know, I, I would say. One of them. Not, not the most. You, Michael Jackson and other people are way bigger. But he's one of the most. 
of our time. And what was he doing? He was just on fucking YouTube, fucking singing in Canada. And oops, sorry about that. I was talking about Justin Bieber and Scooter Braun. So he was just sitting over there on YouTube singing. And Scooter Braun was just working for these big rappers and doing college parties for them and helping them around little college parties. He was bowing down to these guys who were big time. And he was just, oh, I just want to do a little college parties. And they, oh, yeah, Scooter, do this. Oh, you do this. They didn't look at him as a, as a rival. And he didn't act like he was a rival. They, he act, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. I'll do that for you. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll do this. But secretly, this mother, this joker, he was plotting. I'm going to get all their fucking information, learn their processes mm -hmm. and how they're doing shit. But secretly, he had to think, I'm fucking smarter than these motherfuckers. And I'm going to take this bigger. But he, he played silly. He played stupid. He played dumb. And then once he got all the connections from them, from throwing little parties, he said, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them do anything they want. Call me any name, whatever. And I'm going to take their secrets. And now I'm going to find me somebody. And I've got these connections now for working for these people and being the little person for them, the peon. And now I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to contact them about this guy named Justin Bieber. And I'm going to bring him and introduce him to these people that I met through these other people pretending like I was a nobody. And now they're going to sign this kid. And now I'm going to be a &R, And now this guy's going to get signed. And now I'm going to be a fucking millionaire. And now I'm going to buy other celebrities fucking things. And the people that were I was once managing, I'm bigger than them. Yeah. <laughs> but how did they, they wouldn't have known. They never knew. They never fucking knew. Because their process was, who are you now? If you're not famous now, you're not going to be it. And I don't think you're a threat. It, 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 it's also quite interesting how how um, how different his way of like finding talent was. I mean, if you if you look at the first videos from Justin Bieber, I think I watched one once, um, and what I remember they had don't really had a great quality. Was just like sitting on a sofa singing but scooter Braun, like apparently like st still managed to think like hey I, I can make a world star of him but see this is something that i was talking about earlier julius that i was chiming on is that there's certain people who just have this ability to kind of tell what are the basic what are the basic points of, of of somebody who can you know that that is needed to be that next big thing like i said i can look over you know somebody's work I can look at somebody's, you know, development over a couple of projects and I can tell how does it lazy load? How did it function? I go, I can tell how strategic and thoughtful was this engineer. The same thing with somebody design. I can look at how their designs look and tell if they have a similar feel and pattern and a vibe and energy where they can do my work. I don't have to do all these other fucking things. The other things are just like culture fit and just trying to see if they get my idea and all these other, other personal things that we want to match. But overall, I can kind of get if you can do the fucking job. I don't need you to be your best friend. I just need you to do the fucking job, right? I, that's a problem with so many people in these culture fits. They want them to be your fucking friend. Nobody's your friend at these companies. <laughs> they don't even fucking like you. A lot of these people have these initiatives or these mentalities where they just want to come and get money and get rich. They don't fucking like you. They're lying. They always want to take another position or get up higher than you sometimes. And some people want to coast. Not everybody wants to be higher. Some people just want to coast and get the fucking money. Fuck you. I just want to take some little cash and feel like I'm living a life, which is fine. But my point is, in general, is yeah. not everybody else thinks the same. But I, I don't know. I, I just think it's a, it's a different process. And he was able to evaluate these strategic points to see that success. And I think certain people are able to just tell. 
he didn't have to bring him on star search or any type of thing and say, okay, we'll sing here and do this. He knew by watching the video. Okay. I can see these attributes about him. I know what I can do with that. He didn't have to do all these crazy interviews. He's like, no, I need to contact that guy. He's got it. Some people can tell if you got it. Some people have this talent to do that, but not everybody does. And so that's probably harder to scale things. And that's probably why everybody does a processing. You know, how do we do that to scale? We, everybody can't be a Scooter Braun. So how do we do that? We can't find people like that typically. So let's just create a process. And if you don't fucking pass it, you're not, you're not Justin Bieber. Tipple. That's it. And this is, and that's why a lot of Justin Bieber's that's why not with social media, like TikTok and all these different social media tools, there's these other people. There's so many people coming out of nowhere and creating their own brands because now it's proven that you can pretty much, if you're good at doing social media, you can make yourself a fucking Justin Bieber. Now, if you're just good with social media, there you go. So this is just something that I, I, I see when you're talking about doing things to, that don't scale. I think you should do – when you're doing a hiring process, you should do things that don't scale and figure out what that is for your company. And I know it's a hard problem to solve, but as people who build companies, you have to think about how you do things that don't scale and stop thinking about how you do things you know, within a systematic, scalable process every single fucking time. Because this is something that Paul Graham kind of talked about, but nobody talks about it in the hiring process. I, de- I definitely agree to that. Also, like, well, I, I think most of most of the companies will reach like that point to some degree where they recognize, hey, this feature doesn't work out, this one as well not. We have to try some different things. And I think at that point, like, true leadership really really come comes to the surface, um, and and founders really really have to step in. But also, like individuals, for example, when you when you mentioned like the whole story of of Twitter and Jack Dorsey. Um, that y- you really have to be flexible in challenging times. Um, I think this is still like undervalued when it comes to like skills of a founder. Agreed. Agreed. Well, man, dude, it's been a fucking amazing conversation that me and you have had Julius Weikenhurst. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah, man, we've had an amazing conversation, but what are some things that you might want to tell some of the audience? Perfect. What, what, yeah, of course. What are some of the things you might want to tell the audience, you know, of how they can get in contact with you and some of the projects that you're working on? They can follow some of the amazing things that you've fucking done because, you know, you've obviously done some amazing shit and you will continuously. Yeah. I'd definitely say to check out my LinkedIn. Uh, feel, feel free to co- connect with me there. Um, you, you can just type in my name or ju- just Google me. You will find me instantly. But also, like, definitely check out Polar at getpolarized.io uh, and also. 38, my NGO, um, if you're interested in donating and, um, yeah, no, nonprofit organizations as well, um, under, uh, angel.co slash 38. Um, yeah, exactly. That's it basically. Yeah. And you guys are hiring too, right? Exactly. Yes. For, for both organizations, basically. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell everybody what you're hiring for. Maybe they, maybe you might find your future CEO or your future entrepreneur or future great product designer or, or engineer <laughs> if you are a back-end or front-end engineer um definitely feel free to check out at any time we are hiring on a rolling basis at third aid and at polar uh, we basically at this point we, we can't get enough of you um so so definitely just shoot us a message message and we we will set up a, an interview and the first call to hopefully also like implement uh 
those fabulous uh yeah new hiring strategies that we just discussed in the podcast <laughs> yeah man i mean I, I think somebody needs to fucking come up and write this actual book and you know make this bring this information exactly. <laughs> and then everybody's just gonna copy and paste that same shit <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, uh, you know, oh, you know, you only have to, you know, be lucky once. I think that's one of the books, right, too. And, uh, you know, I think Peter Till's was, what was it? Uh, what was it? Uh, what was Peter Till's book again? How did I forget it? But I forgot it again. What was it? Zero to one. Yes, zero to one. I love books, but we can't take every book and copy and paste every idea. They do inspire you, but sometimes we have to think different, do things that don't scale. But Julius... All the way from Germany, Frankfurt is here today talking about his amazing companies, and it's been an awesome conversation. I think this has been a longer conversation than I've had in a while. We went two hours and 22 minutes, probably not all of it because there was some drop, drop down, but roughly this is how long we went. So we had some great conversations, and uh, it's great to have you on, Julius. And uh, keep in contact and you know, let me know what you're working on and you know, what you're doing and et cetera. And uh, if there's any, anything I can always help out with, I definitely will refer you or, or you know, try to put you in the same position for uh success and uh may the force be with you just hang on for a second and uh let's uh let everything upload on your side and my side okay yeah sure okay. Th thanks for having me it was exciting yeah and and uh, and i'm sorry like for any unclarities i know my, my my english still has to be improved but i hope it's fine for your audience you're good you're good you're amazing awesome Perfect. hold on for a second Yee. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kids in the Room podcast. The Kids in the Room podcast. That's right. That's right. Brought to you by Move Faces TV. Let's go.